part of it is other drivers not wanting to fuck up the championship, right? Like, who wants to be that guy, that David Starr that fucks up the championship for no reason other than being David Starr? And David Starr is racing this weekend. This is why I'm mentioning his name, and he's done it before. Like, we have, thank God, we have not seen one driver fuck up the final four. Stacking Denny's, we are down to the final race of the 2021 season. I'm Jordan McAbee of FantasyRacingOnline.com. My co-host, Nick Giffen, a.k.a. Rotodoc of Fantasy Labs. We are on to Phoenix, but first, we have a lot to unpack with Martinsville. Alex Bowman in victory lane. Chase Elliott, the dominant car. Denny Hamlin gets wrecked. Keselowski driving like there's no tomorrow. Kyle Busch racing all out. And somehow, with... A ton of damage, uh, the the valve stem on the tire hanging on by a thread, a huge hole in the front end of his car. Martin Truex Jr. finishes fourth, advances on to the final four. Our final four is set. We have Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr. It's Hendrick versus Gibbs. Nick, I already know what you thought about this race, but break it down. Do you think we'll talk about we're going to talk about the main controversy first? I think right now Denny Hamlin is the biggest villain in NASCAR. Would you agree? I would agree, and I'm a Denny Denny Hamlin fan. You know that. Uh, I just I don't I uh, I don't understand his perspective, his point of view here. Um, I understand it sucks to get wrecked for the lead late in a race, and I understand if he thinks Alex Bowman did it intentionally. I personally don't think Alex Bowman did it intentionally but I understand if he thinks he does but at the same time we talked about this you and I talked about this last week uh what was there to gain for Denny Hamlin by racing Alex Bowman hard what I mean a grandfather clock great but if you race him hard and he puts you in the wall and it's enough damage to knock you you know three laps down or whatever five laps down suddenly you're out of the playoffs yeah. So the decision making there was extremely questionable by Nanny Hamlin. Um, and I might be doing them favors there by saying that's extremely questionable decision making. Because guess what? If he just lets Bowman by, he's they already they had a big gap on second place. They had a big gap. So or on third place, I should say. So mm. he could ride around behind Bowman. They could finish the race, assuming nobody else knocked each other out of the way. And well, nobody did because they were the last caution. Uh, and he gets to Phoenix as a championship contender with no enemies. With no enemies. Yep. I mean, granted, now as it stands, his enemy is Alex Bowman, and Bowman's not going to do, any- do anything to him at Phoenix. So that's fine. But Hamlin had nothing to gain by racing that hard. And that's why I didn't like betting Denny Hamlin. That's why I didn't like betting, uh, you know, Kyle Larson. Um, not that Kyle Larson was going to be great there. That's why I didn't like betting uh, Chase Elliott. Because all of these drivers had nothing to gain. You saw that with Chase Elliott when he realized Alex Bowman, his teammate, was faster than him. He just let him by. Just go on mm-hmm. by. Yep. And when we talked last week, you were like, well, did Chase Elliott learn from Can- like the Kansas? Because he was so aggressive on that second to last lap. And like I said, it was a different situation. 
because you aren't locked into Martinsville by finishing second at Kansas or locked into Phoenix by finishing second at Kansas, but Mm -hmm. finishing second at Martinsville, you're locked in. So Chase Elliott did the smart thing, let his teammate by. It's a lot easier when it's a teammate as well. Uh, But Denny Hamlin could have just let Bowman go. They could have raced out the end. No controversy there. Instead, Hamlin decided to put up a fight for whatever unknown reason and nearly cost himself a playoff chance. Mm. Nearly cost himself a playoff chance. And that's just dumb. I'm a Denny Hamlin fan, but that's dumb. And I don't understand, tweeted this after the race, don't understand how nobody, nobody, truck series, uh, nationwide, or sorry, Xfinity series, I can't believe I still call it nationwide series sometimes. And <laughs> and the Cup Series, how they all haven't learned from Jimmy Johnson in 2018 at Charlotte Roval, where racing too hard can knock you out. Now, it didn't quite come up as much in certain situations in the truck in the Xfinity series. But, I mean, Daniel Hemrick, I guess, it, it definitely came up. And, he, you know, big picture racing made it to the championship. He still blew that race. Uh the caution wasn't his fault, but he still blew that uh, second to last restart. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like it just it boggles my mind how Denny Hamlin there raced for the win instead of the bigger picture. I I, I just I don't understand. Yeah, you know um, the the thing is, I got I saw a tweet about this um, after the race. And I completely agreed with it. So the the tweet basically said it looked like Hamlin was exercising his demons. And like he's been through a lot of shit this year. He mm-hmm. has been through a ton of shit. His his girlfriend left him, whatever happened there. He's had a ton of frustrations on the track. He's had a great season. He has had a championship season. To me, the two best cars this year have been Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, and I don't think it's as big a gap as many people do. He's been through some shit, and I think he finally hit that breaking point. And if you looked at Denny Hamlin during that interview, he didn't look right. Like, he looked like just a guy that got completely pushed over the edge. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because all of a sudden, I'll I'll say this about what happened after the race. I hate Denny Hamlin. When he went in there and he messed up Alex Bowman's victory celebration, I was cheering. That was the best thing I've seen in a long time. I think he could have stayed there longer, but he made the point. And then they put a they put a microphone in his face, and he put his fucking foot in his mouth. Sounded like a whiny asshole. Went on Twitter. Sounded like a whiny asshole. I have things to and, say about that. Keep yeah, going. but but for the most part now, I think that I don't know if Denny Hamlin was doing this on purpose. I have a feeling Denny Hamlin might be doing this on purpose. I think a lot of fans, even more than Chase Elliott fans, because he thinks it's just Chase Elliott fans that are booing him. I think there's a lot more fans than just Chase Elliott fans that are booing him. I ran a little impromptu poll on Twitter today, which, like, this isn't representative of the NASCAR fan base, but it's a couple hundred, 300 people. Only 14% said that they had a positive viewpoint of Denny Hamlin. Two years ago, three years ago, that probably would have been like 80%. I think over the last few years, the fan base has just got to the point of not liking Denny Hamlin. And it's more of the entire fan. I mean, he's getting booed at his home track. And then like 
post-race interview, he's saying Chase Elliott fans are stupid, blah, blah, blah. His own teammate, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Larson, one of the most respected guys in the garage now, is laughing at Denny Hamlin, like making fun and of And they're him. friends. And they're friends. Yes. They are friends. Like Kyle Larson and Denny Hamlin are legitimately good friends. Yeah. So racing, racing, uh, racing each other for the title, yeah. <laughs> like good friends racing each other for the title. But you're right. That interview, Larson's just like, he's laughing. His teammate yeah. Trex is laughing. Obviously, Truex, Chase Elliott's going to laugh, but yeah, Trex literally had to put his hands in his face, like, because he was laughing so much. And it's like, Hamlin, do you realize how much of a jackass you look like right now? Especially. So if you sit there and you say, don't poke the bear and fucking bring it, which I love that, by the way, I love the passion. But if you come out there and you run fourth like you did last year at Phoenix Finale, you're going to get hated even more because you have to back up with the, the stuff that you say. And I don't know if Denny Hamlin could do it because we've seen time and time again, he can't come up in big pressure situations. The All the times that he's made it into the Final Four in the championship, he's never finished the race in the top three. So I'm just saying. I, yeah. I said at the, I said at the beginning of the playoffs on this podcast I said Denny Hamlin's going to win the championship this year. I'm still kind of confident in that. I think it's going to be super hard to beat those Hendrick cars, but um, but yeah. So what what what's your take on on Hamlin and this whole situation? Yeah, I I think a couple things. First of all, um, I feel like there's an extra edge with him this year in terms of his edginess, like his desire to get it done. He's feeling the pressure, feeling the you got you you failed so many times over, and I I think I saw that from a couple. Of, you mentioned those tweets afterward. A couple of those tweets. I I actually feel like he's motivated and determined, bigger than ever. Mm-hmm. And one other thing I want to say is, we give Chase Elliott shit for being bland, right? We give whatever drivers shit for being PR bland corporate i understand denny hamlin's tweets came off as air quote whiny but isn't that Mm. the emotion we want to see don't we want to see emotion you mention it all the time we want to see emotion from these drivers and then as soon as we give he gives emotion whiny tweets and and i'm not saying you in general i'm just saying like I, i i was okay i quote tweeted his tweets and was like you're focusing I, – I am. I appreciate the emotion, but you're focusing on the wrong things here, dude. Like, instead mm-hmm. of focusing on Alex Bowman, you need to focus on winning a damn title. Instead of focusing on fans, you need to focus on a title. That's what I was saying. Like, he's calling Alex Bowman a hack when <laughs> he needs to be calling his teammate Christopher Bell a hack if that's the case. If that's the right. case. If Alex Bowman is a hack, then Christopher Bell is a hack. If Alex Bowman is a hack, then Bubba Wallace is a hack, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think the statistics and the numbers just prove it out. But, you know, I I liked the emotion, too. I thought it was great. I thought the tweets were maybe a little too much. But at the same time, that's the emotion we want to see. Not uh, corporate BS, bland, blah, whatever. Ryan Blaney, Austin Dillon Rex, Ryan Blaney, blah. Like... Did we even hear after the race anything about Austin Dillon smashing into Ryan Blaney and breaking his car again two races in a row? Nothing. We didn't hear anything about that. But, yeah, Austin Dillon ran into Ryan Blaney. Uh, It was probably partly the 12's fault because, you know, he braked pretty hard or whatever and partly the 3's fault. But, like, 
we heard nothing about that. Absolutely nothing. Right. And it just there. Were, where was the emotion from Ryan Blaney in regards to Austin Dillon for two weeks in a row? A non-playoff driver getting into him. The same non-playoff driver. You know, and and I think that's just like we want these emotions. And at certain times when drivers do show emotion, we criticize them. That's maybe where it goes a little too far for me because I, I look, obviously I'm, I'm biased as a Denny Hamlet fan. Obviously, I wasn't 100% on board with his tweets because I quote tweeted them. I was like, dude, why are you calling people a hack when you know, if you're not calling these other people hacks or whatever. I, I mean, I bought an Alex Bowman hack t-shirt because it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm Danny Hamill fan. I'm also an Alex Bowman fan. Actually, I yeah. am. So it's just one of those things for me, a little rant there, like where I think it's good for Danny Hamlin to be showing this fire, showing these emotions, even if they're air quote whiny emotions. I think it's a good thing for Denny Hamlin because it shows the passion he has. That's a very good point you make with the emotion. I think the difference in it and where I stand, obviously I'm a little biased against Denny Hamlin. I don't like him. But I also think there's a difference between showing emotion like Kyle Busch does when he gets out of a car and says this car sucks, even though he just won the race, or when he says he should go uh, kick Keselowski's ass. He is talking about other things. Denny Hamlin getting on Twitter and saying, you don't talk, talking about the fans saying you don't know what I've been through. Me, 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 me. That's where I, I don't. That's a different kind of emotion. So Kyle Bush doesn't make it about him. Not as much as not as not like Denny Hamlin did. Right. Like, I think there's a difference. I think there's a very clear difference there. I think there's a difference in the. Whine. I think there's a difference in the way they whine. Yes, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's not because Kyle Busch doesn't make it about himself. Mm, I feel like Denny Hamlin plays more of a victim than Kyle Busch does. I can probably agree with that, and that's that's where I take issue with how Hamlin sure, responded to. Sure, it. I understand that. You know, but yeah, like so. So speaking of Ryan Blaney, you know, not having no emotion. Like like I said, he's. You could go out there, he could get wrecked winning the championship, and he could get wrecked, and he's not going to have emotion. He's not going to be mad. I think he completely, like, by the way, you know, I tweeted this out. Denny, or Ryan Blaney is dead to me for a long time. Alex Bowman has been removed from the dead to me list. Mm-hmm. But Ryan Blaney, they did not have a good car that race. Penske right. did not have good cars. Penske whiffed big time oh, in that race. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. I, I was shocked. Actually, Keselowski like almost single-handedly removed himself from the dead to me list as a Penske driver just because he was the only one who showed up. Yeah, and he didn't even show up like he wasn't super strong. And I think at the end that was just him giving 150% and saying, screw this. I'm Which I respect, mad respect. Right. And so that- the other thing I mad respect is he didn't punt people out of the way. Uh, not Obviously, Alex Bowman, I don't think punted uh, Larson out of the way, or sorry, Hamlin out of the way. But I mean, he raced him hard, but I think I also saw Brad Keselowski racing as hard as he could, but as as clean as he needed to. He he did punt Chase Elliott at one point, but at that point, he was faster than Chase Elliott for 15 laps, something like that, and it just got to the point where you just have to go, and that's what Keselowski did, and I don't think there was any issue between bad blood between Chase Elliott and Brad Keselowski after the race. No. 
I, I'd say Keselowski gained a lot of guys' respect. Maybe not Kyle Busch, just because didn't Keselowski wreck him after the checkered? But yeah, yeah. Um, like Keselowski was driving his ass off. Whereas Ryan Blaney, who like the bet of the week for me, best bet of the season was Ryan Blaney top ten last week. It was still I, a good bet. It just and that's what I told everyone. I said a hundred. If I have that opportunity to make that bet a hundred times, I'm making it a hundred times yes. because it's hitting way more than fifty percent of the time. We just hit bad luck, but it goes back to why Ryan Blaney is dead to me, and I lost respect. He completely gave up that final. The final five restarts, he never once took the inside lane. Like, what are you doing? You you're just completely giving up. And then like you know, obviously I had money on the line, so it was it was. I have a stronger opinion, but just watching that race, like, what are you doing? Why are you not putting you and your team in the best possible opportunity to finish well in that race? It was sickening. But yeah, like like I said, Penske, I could not believe how awful they were in that race because Penske's been so good on short flats this year at Martinsville. And it wasn't just Hendrick and Gibbs were stronger than them because Hamlin wasn't that great for the first half of that race. It was Penske just missed. They missed entirely. And that's just... It was it was unbelievable. Like it, it was all three cars, and yeah. But I hundred percent agree with you. It was it was shocking how far off Team Penske was. Um, Joey Logano, we talked about. It. He finished second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth in the other five short flat tracks this year, and he was out to lunch. Uh, he finished tenth only because they had strategy that got him up front, and then he faded from first to 10th over the last hundred laps of the race or whatever. Um, it was, it was rough for team Penske. And here's the crazy stat, the crazy stat of the day, the championship four drivers at Martinsville finished fourth, 14th, 16th <laughs> and 24th. Those are your championship four. Yeah. At a short flat just before the championship race at a short flat. Now, obviously, like I said, I think they're the most different short flat tracks, Martinsville and Phoenix, from each other. But there is obviously some similarity. There's a reason we pull in the other short flats to analyze Martinsville. I actually don't pull in Martinsville to analyze Phoenix. So that's going to be one of those things that we talked about last week that kind of it doesn't go both ways there. I just use Richmond and New Hampshire to analyze Phoenix. Martinsville maybe is a tiebreaker. Uh, but... It's just it's it's amazing to me how wild this race was. Our top three finishers were Alex Bowman, who sits 14th in the standings, only because he's had a terrible playoffs. He's much better than 14th in the standings, if not for a DNF at Talladega, a DNF at Texas, a DNF essentially at Darlington. If you remember that really early crash, uh, which partly collected Bowman, uh, the terrible strategy, and then the loose wheel or flat tire, or whatever it was at Las Vegas. Um, the guy would be probably sitting in the top 10 in points or near the top 10 with his teammate, William Byron in points, uh, which brings me up to another whole point about Alex Bowman hack. I disagree, but um, so he finished first. The second place finisher was ninth place in points, Kyle Busch. And the third place finisher was Brad Keselowski, who surprisingly, as long as he is, he was, he was dead to me for so many weeks there, but all of it was right at the end of the regular season. His playoffs have actually been, pretty consistent he has uh six top 10 finishes 
no finish of those top 10 or lower than seventh. So six top seven finishes you know, as a 13, 17 and 20. So just kind of noteworthy there that uh, our top three finishers from the last race are sitting there fifth, ninth and 14th in points while our championship four, only one of them even finished inside the top 13. So that's kind of a wild stat. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, Kozlowski and how strong he's been in the playoffs. Another guy that's been very strong in the playoffs and that I know we're going to talk about in a little bit, Kevin Harvick, who 12th place finish at Martinsville isn't great, but he's finished top 10 in all but two of the nine playoff races and not just top 10 single digit uh, ninth mm-hmm. or better uh, has a few top fives in there. That team, it, it goes back to you really have to be strong all season long because with that kind of consistency in the playoffs, you can get to the final round. You can get to Phoenix, but you need that crutch of what Kyle Larson had, of what Denny Hamlin had, those extra points to get you there. What Martin Truex Jr. had. The only reason that Martin Truex Jr. made it to Phoenix, which thank whatever that he did because I was about to lose not only those futures bets, which I barely hedged, but also the the Blaney bet. I, I was sitting there at the end like, this is my worst nightmare. But Truex pulled it off. And the only reason he did was because he racked up those wins in the regular season, which gave him the points to get to Phoenix at the end. Because he, he got in mm-hmm. by what, two points? Oh, yeah. He he, but, he squeaked in, and, and that's the end. I will say the good thing is that's what NASCAR wanted. They wanted regular season wins, playoff points to matter. And in this case, they did. Truex, with significantly more playoff points than Kyle Busch, is what got him to the Final Four. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people like to to shit on this playoff format, which I kind of get, but at the same time, I don't. Because the best drivers this season, when it comes to just overall... um, is basically Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr. Laps mm-hmm. led, top fives, top tens. You know, there's other guys that are kind of close. Kevin Harvick has 23 top tens this year, which is more than Chase Elliott, more than Martin Truex Jr., but he only has 10 top fives, zero wins. So you could make the argument that, you know, the correct four are in this this final four. Um I don't have green flag speed rankings in front of me, but I'm sure they are all very close to the top. I, I agree. And, you know, aside from William Byron, maybe this is probably the best for all year. William Byron got hosed in the playoffs. Um, he he had the contact there with, I think it was Bowman at Darlington, like his own teammate somehow got in the wall and got into him or whatever it was. But there was a problem at Darlington. Richmond, he just wasn't good, but he squeaked his way through in Bristol with that third place finish. Then fastest car at Las Vegas, but the terrible pit strategy and uh, the cut tire or whatever it was, 18th place, 18th place at Vegas, 36 at Talladega. Can't really fault anybody there. Charlotte, he was in position to win the race until Tyler Reddick gets into him. That round right there, Las Vegas, Talladega and Charlotte. Bowman may have actually been, or sorry, Byron may have been the best car that whole round. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, right up there at least with with Kyle Larson and and you know, I guess maybe Denny Hamlin. Um, but Byron was probably the best car that round and had three finishes of eleventh or worse. 
And then look what yeah. he did in the final round after he got eliminated. Second, sixth, and fifth. And was legitimately a top five car in all three of those. Kansas, he finished sixth, but he was probably the second best car there at Kansas. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that guy could have made the final four. I, I, I called him to the final four. I don't regret that call, even though it didn't hit, because I still think without a little bit of bad luck there, Las Vegas and Charlotte in particular, he's in the final four right now. Yeah, and that that Charlotte race is the one. If if Chase Elliott would have been black flagged like he should have, William Byron would have won that race. Yeah. Speaking of calls that you made, we talked about it on the on the episode last week. Alex Bowman top Chevy at Martinsville, seventeen to one. I got to pat you on the back for that. That was a hell of a call. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at look at my bets, obviously I didn't win money for the week, but I did have Bowman 17 to 1. We talked about it on Stacking Denny's. PJ Walsh of Action Network, one of my good friends. And of course, uh, my work is for Fantasy Labs, which is a part of Action Network. Uh, he made the same bet and, and you know, uh, I wrote an article about it. So props to PJ there. That was an awesome bet. And um, there was some live betting going on. I'll just say that with regards to Alex Bowman. So I'm not too unhappy with how this past week went on, but he had the best car. Um, I, I think there's no arguing, you know, people are like, Oh, he flukes his way into wins. He had the best car. He was legitimately the fastest car that race towards the end. He passed his teammate, Chase Elliott. He legitimately passed Kyle Busch or Truex or whoever else was up front. And he was faster than Denny Hamlin. Yes, obviously, he wrecked Denny Hamlin to win. I, again, still don't think it was intentional. I think the replays show it wasn't intentional. I think Alex Bowman, his whole career has shown that's not how he races, is intentionally wrecking somebody, ever. I legitimately think he won that race. Obviously, there's the controversy with the contact with Hamlin. But he was the best car. It wasn't a question. He was faster than Denny Hamlin. So people saying he flukes his way into wins... He was the fastest at Martinsville this year. He was the fastest potentially at Dover this year. I remember Dover, the four Hendrick cars. It was like whoever got out front was going to win because you couldn't pass a Dover. And all four of the Hendrick cars were the fastest four. Um, He was right there to take advantage of Kyle Larson blowing a tire because Kyle Larson had to race Bowman so hard just to pass him that Kyle Larson potentially wore the good off his tires and blew his own tire in a way. Richmond is Richmond. That was kind of a weird one because it was the Hamlin, Truex, and Logano show in that late restart. But looking at his previous wins, he legitimately won those two. He legitimately won Chicagoland. He legitimately won Auto Club Speedway. Alex Bowman has won at six different types of tracks in his six wins. That's impressive. He is not a hack. He is a hell of a good driver. And even if he is statistically the air quote worst at Hendrick this year, they haven't been kicking his ass, as Danny Hamlin says. They've just been slightly better than him. That's not kicking ass. That's just slightly better. That's my opinion mm-hmm. on, on Alex Bowman. And uh, yeah, I, I was all about that Bowman 17 to 1, um, you know, top Chevy bet. And the reason was Larson, not great at Martinsville. By the way, GG's on that, uh, uh, that Martin Truex Jr. versus Kyle Larson bet. <laughs> I mean, I'm never, I'm no, never I, I don't think the that. other guy took you up on it, but you know, it was pretty obvious. And, <sighs> um, Chase Elliott had nothing to race for. Uh, 
you know, he, Chase Elliott backed off and Bowman was just better than Chase Elliott uh, at the end there. And Chase Elliott gave it up and, you know, he still raced Brad Keselowski hard, which I guess was a little shocking to me because Keselowski had to punt Chase Elliott out of the way. Uh, and so, you know, both of the, the guys that could have just been locked in with any finish, Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin, raced a little harder than they needed to. But yeah, I... I I really liked the 17 to one odds on Alex Bowman and we'll just say there was a little bit of live betting going on around Alex Bowman too, during the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to the state of Ohio for not allowing me to live bet. Um, just want to throw that out there. I hate you. Uh, but <laughs> looking at loop data from Martinsville, I don't think, you know, anybody's saying that that Alex Bowman didn't have the best car in that race. And that Chase Elliott might have had the best car. Yes, Chase Elliott had the best car for the first 250 laps. There's no doubt about that. This is a 500-lap race, though. Alex Bowman had the second most fastest laps at 87 in that race. Next best was Denny Hamlin at 36. Green flag speed, Alex Bowman ranked second behind Chase Elliott. Average running position, despite not starting up front, Alex Bowman ranked third behind Chase Elliott and Martin Truex Jr., Alex Bowman definitely had the best car when it mattered the most, which was the last 100, 100 150 laps. Mm-hmm. He and I, I know, you know, you and, and me and PJ have, uh, you know, a Twitter DM thread that we have going on. And we were talking about Bowman like in the first 100 laps, like he's looking really good right now. Oh, he yeah. just needs some track position. So, um, yeah, Bowman, you know, and like you said, he has won at all these different tracks. I think his biggest issue is consistency. And honestly, if we're calling anybody a hack, I would call Denny Hamlin hack. Like I'm shocked. (laughs) All these wins, zero championships and not even close to a championship. Like Denny Hamlin's the hack in my eyes compared to Alex Bowman um, or anybody else. Denny Hamlin is more of a hack than David Starr. (laughs) <laughs> no 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 that would go too, I, I can't go i can't i can't make that leap he's not as much of a hack as david star uh, i mean who, to be fair to denny hamlin he did finish second in the championship in 2010 when jimmy johnson was in the middle of his prime era of destroying nascar uh but i actually do think that championship partially wrecked denny hamlin because you look at what happened to Denny Hamlin after that, mm-hmm. uh, you know he, he finished second in the championship. The next year he finished ninth, sixth. Obviously he had the the injury with the Joey Logano contact and finished twenty third. But like his win totals just came down. Uh, then he kind of got back to form, third in the championship in twenty fourteen, which was the first year of this final four format. But he finished seventh at Homestead, like you're saying. So he didn't finish in the top four or even the top three in that race, even though he got third in the championship. And that's because Truex finished like somewhere in the teens or twenties. But yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't been as good for Denny Hamlin since that second place finish to Jimmy Johnson. There was the, there was a little while there. There was this like air quote, second place curse, but of course everyone is finishing, finishing second to Jimmy Johnson. And then he just go win the championship anyway. So it wasn't really much a second place curse as much as it was a uh, Jimmy Johnson just destroyed everything. Uh, but you know, I mean, even, even somebody like Keselowski, when he finally, you know, dethroned Jimmy Johnson in 2012, I think it was Tony Stewart in 11, Keselowski in 12. Well, 
Stewart had a bad 12 and then Kozlowski didn't have the best 2013. So there was kind of a second place curse there, but uh, yeah, just one of those, one of those interesting deals, but Denny Hamlin didn't finish second last year. So, you know, maybe, maybe he's the one that's not getting cursed this year. Very possible. Um, I feel like the last two years, Hamlin's pissed down his leg in the championship. I agree. One, 2019, one those, he definitely did. Yeah, that one it, That one was so weird because Kyle Busch won the championship when all three of the other drivers just made mistakes. And it wasn't, I should say, drivers and crews. Remember, like, Truex's team, like, put the tires oh. in the wrong side of the car? Like, oh. what was that? Yes. And something happened to Harvick, too, where he was... He was almost a lap down and he came back still to finish second. Uh, but like literally the only reason Kyle Busch won that was because that race had no competition. I mean, he didn't, he was the only one that just kept the car clean the whole race. Everybody else mm-hmm. had massive mistakes and uh, that's why they were, you know, second, third and fourth. Kyle Busch didn't even, uh, yeah, yeah, he won the race, but he wasn't dominant. He wasn't amazing. He just was the best of the four and didn't make a mistake, but ah, that was so weird, but you're right. Like Denny Hamlin has not been good in championship races in championship position, but if there was a year and I say this again, as a biased Denny Hamlin fan, if there was a year, I feel like he is determined based off the, the whiny tweets based off of, it was literally the last tweet. I think it was. And I, I think I quote tweet. I'm like, this is the attitude we want. I think he's maybe, maybe ready. Maybe. I'm I'm with you. I like I said, I'm I'm not gonna back down from my prediction that we made before the playoffs started. I said Denny Hamlin's gonna win three races. He's won two. And I say he's gonna win the championship. So I'm sticking with that. I am very concerned though about the Hendrick cars and just how strong they are. Like mm-hmm. this is gonna be tough for both Hamlin and Truex to to win this. So flash forwarding or going now to Phoenix in the finale, there are quite a few things to talk about in this race. First off, the odds are basically everywhere the same. Kyle Larson, the favorite, Chase Elliott second, Denny Hamlin third, Martin Truex Jr. fourth. One thing I want to kick off here is betting on this race and whether, obviously, there's a lot of bets out there. There's a lot of long shot bets. So what all sports books are doing, and I've we've both received tweets about this, you know, in the last couple of days. Sports books are making the championship four the very heavy favorites. And then there's huge gaps to the other guys. It'll go from like Truex at plus five hundred down to Logano at plus fourteen hundred. Like massive gaps there. And the reason being, we have never, under this playoff format, had a winner of this race not be one of the championship four. So they're just relying on history repeating itself. So that opens the conversation. Most odds, when you compare championship odds for the final four to race win odds, the race win odds are longer. So do you think that if you were to bet on a championship winner, it'd be smarter just to bet on them to win the race because you're going to get better odds? Or is there enough of a significant possibility of them maybe finishing second and still winning the championship that you should just take the shorter odds and cover your bases just in case. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I want to answer this in the most simple way possible. I think 
of the so the four drivers in the championship are two Hendrick drivers, Larson and Elliott, and two JGR drivers, Hamlin and Truex. If there's any other drivers from those teams, they're not racing for the win. No. They're racing to help their teammates. Even Kyle Busch, who loves winning, under probably and has and will understand the big picture if Truex or Hamlin are around him. You know what I mean? They will. He will understand that. He's shown it before when he's not been in the final four. Uh, I think outside of those two teams, there are potentially two drivers that could come into play. And those are the only two drivers. And I'm not mentioning yet for specific reasons. I think there's two drivers that could come into play. But outside of that, I think it's among the championship four for them to decide, decide it among themselves who's going to win this race. So it's not impossible. I mean, obviously the Cup Series is not the Truck Series. But we've seen Matt Crafton win the Truck Series without winning, winning a race, didn't win the finale, etc. Uh, so it's not impossible. And I know you you had a, a poll there on Twitter that kind of got botched a little bit, but I think most yeah. people would have said greater than 80%. Yes, I agree with that. Greater than 80% uh, is what you're, I think you intended for your poll to mean. Right. I think greater than 80%, it comes from one of the final, or one of the championship four. Um, I just think that's how teammates and team, uh, not orders, but but dynamics play out in a championship race, especially when these have been the two dominant teams all year. It's not a stretch to say Hendrick has been the best this year. JGR has been the second best and Penske's probably been the third best this year. I don't think it's a, str- I mean, if Penske was the second or, or best this year, they'd probably have a driver in the final four and they don't. So I don't think it's a stretch to say two best teams are occupying all of the final four spots here. So I think it's greater than 80%. One of these four wins but I'm I'm not saying it's a hundred percent because I think there are a couple of potentially good bets out there. And I actually we were talking about the odds here. I pulled up the circa odds and they did come out just as we were going live. Nice. Truex is plus six hundred to win at circa. Just letting you know. Who else who else catches your eye there? Um, well, so like I say, I, th- I think Circa has the sharpest odds, generally speaking, because they are a little bit um, more bullish on the favorites and mm-hmm. a little more bearish on the long shots, which I think makes sense because most people just bet the favorites. Like when you look at BetMGM, they had a tweet out the saying like Larson was like 78% of their liability <laughs> or something. Oh and that was God. with Larson at like plus 550 at BetMGM. Oh. He was plus 1100 at Circa. Like he was 11 to one at circa got down to 10 to one, which, and, and he was the only driver at that point that moved shorter. So, you know, circa was taking bets on Kyle Larson. He was the only one that in the top, you know, a hundred to one odds, not, not top hundred drivers, but hundred one or less odds that moved shorter. So it, it was like, God, they just cleaned up on Larson. Now, obviously Bowman won and he was like 47 to one or something at circa, but how many people bet Bowman at 47 to one at circa? Right. Right. So, um, you know, they, they probably lost money on Bowman, but that's just on Bowman. Obviously. I mean, you always lose money on the person that wins, but, but like my point is they made so much money on Kyle Larson. They could afford to set these other guys longer. And I think their lines are that sharp in general, but here's their playoff or I shouldn't say playoff uh, or championship odds. Here's their odds to win the race. 
Mm-hmm. Kyle Larson is plus 175, which is ridiculous. That's the, sh- that's the shortest of all major books as of now. Yeah, which I think is a little ridiculous. I say they're sharp, but I think that's ridiculous. Elliot and Hamlin are 410, so 4.1 to 1. Ooh. And Truex is 6 to 1. So they have they have Elliot the longest of of all major books and Truex the longest of all major books, which is that's, that's interesting. And Larson the shortest and Larson yeah. the shortest, yeah. And then Hamlin's middle of the road. And I'm just intrigued by that because Truex has won three short flat tracks this year. He won, including and, the first Phoenix race. Yeah, and and the thing to note about the first Phoenix race, they unloaded with a brand new setup in that race that they didn't know how it was going to race. And they weren't good in the first half of the race. Mm-hmm. And then they hit on something. And they weren't just good. They were dominant in that second half. He had the best car for sure. Um, but I think that's a general consensus right now is, you know, Truex just doesn't have what it takes to, to run with these guys. And I, I've been betting Truex all year. I've, I've mentioned this all the time. Am I confident that he wins? Honestly, no. I'm, I'm, I'm following the, the general general consensus there am i going to be happy if he wins yeah i'm going to be a fan for life there's going to be no he could he could kill my dog and i wouldn't care but um i i do think they're correct in the odds and where they're at one thing i did want to add while i have this up so we talk about this with the championship race a lot i always make the joke that the championship four drivers have 100 extra horsepower than everybody else it goes back to a lot of the drivers don't want to screw this race up and they won't race these guys hard and they won't really they won't really care now obviously there's going to be a few drivers that won't give a shit and we're going to talk about those in a little bit but looking back at the season finale race last year it was it was keselowski elliott logano and hamlin those were the final four they finished final four they had the best green flag speed by over three tenths a little bit under three tenths of a mile an hour faster than blaney and fifth six tenths of a mile an hour faster than Jimmy Johnson in sixth and a full mile an hour faster than Kurt Busch in 10th. It's do not be surprised when the rest of these guys, the rest of this field for the most part is just out there finishing this race so they can go on vacation because that's honestly what's going to happen. This race is going to come down to these final four drivers and Penske or and Phoenix does not you don't wreck at Phoenix. We're not gonna. I don't think we're gonna see wrecks unless we get a wild restart. Which you know, if they're fighting for the championship and they get four wide on the final restart, that's where we could see craziness happen. But if you, as far as I'm concerned, if you want to bet a driver to win the championship, I'm gonna recommend just betting them to win the race because you're gonna get better odds, and it's probably that's what's gonna happen. Now, if you can parlay those. If you can parlay a race win and a championship win, absolutely do that and hope that the book doesn't cancel it. I know I tweeted out about DraftKings allowing it just for Truex earlier today. I locked it in. A couple other people locked it in and boom, off the board. They took it off because most books, they don't let you do it. And the reason being because they know that this is probably the most likely scenario and it's just they're just opening themselves up to huge liabilities at that point because I got I got Truex. I already have tons of bets on Truex to win this. I got Truex again today at 25 to 1 just by pe- parlaying him to win the race and win the championship. 
So <laughs> yeah. if you have that opportunity, and I'm sure you can find books out there that'll do it. And if you can, fucking hammer it. I'm not kidding. Like bet mm-hmm. all four because I would say more than most of the time, more than half the time, one, you're going to get odds where you're going to make no money. You're going to make money no matter what happens. As long as one of those four win the race and and every single time so far, one of those four has won the race in this championship format. So I think I'm a gambler. I take stupid risks, but I think that is definitely a risk worth taking if you are able to this weekend. I don't even think that's a stupid risk. That's a great risk with a big payoff with data to back it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you can parlay each of the four you're essentially as long as one of the four wins the race you're guaranteeing yourself like approximately if you size things right in the neighborhood of like 13 units just if yeah. one of the four wins you, you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 11 12 13 units doing the math uh nap you know back of the napkin nap uh math 12 13 11 12 13 14 units at least uh yes. if you can parlay the race win with the championship that's of course if one of the four wins and i think it's incredibly likely one of the four wins i I, i'm not doubting that if we look at the statistics not only has the driver won every single one of these since 2014 there's only been one year where the other driver didn't even finish second the second you know the second place driver didn't even finish second and that was uh that was the 2016 race where Carl Edwards and Logano may have, and Kyle and Kyle Busch, I should say, may have had the three best cars, but Jimmy Johnson won the title because Logano and and Kyle, Carl Edwards got together on that late restart. Um, you know, I I highly recommend watching that 2016 race. I've been trying to watch one a night since uh, Martinsville, so you know you watch 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. That's seven. So if you watched. 2014 on Sunday night. You can watch all of them by Saturday night before the Phoenix race on Sunday. I highly recommend at least trying to catch a couple of these because some of these were so intense, so competitive, so fun to watch. Others were snoozers. I think the 2019 one, like we talked about with with Kyle Busch uh, winning and and everything just being a total snooze fest because all the other three made mistakes. I think that one was pretty terrible. I think 2018 was incredibly fun when Joey Logano won over the mm-hmm. big. That was the year of the big three where Harvick, Kyle Busch, and Truex won like all of the races, basically. <laughs> it's felt like yeah. it felt like uh, Joey Logano won that title. Um that was a great race, I thought. And uh, you know, it's so I definitely recommend watching some of these back. And I think there's I wouldn't say there's a, a necessarily a NASCAR driven horsepower boost to the final four, but there is one billion percent emphasis on these four cars. Right. So if you are uh, a Hendrick team or a Joe Gibbs team, you're putting zero effort into race strategy for Christopher Bell or zero effort in a race strategy for Kyle Busch. Hendrick, you're not putting any effort in a race strategy for Bowman or Byron. Mm-hmm. You're putting and that's not just strategy, but it's set up everything. You are throwing every last damn resource you have at these four. And I think that's part of it. Part of it is having teammates. Part of it is other drivers not wanting to fuck up the championship, right? Like, who wants to be 
that guy, that David Starr that fucks up the championship for no reason other than being David Starr. And David Starr is racing this weekend. This is why I'm mentioning his name and he's done it before. Like, we have, thank God, we have not seen one driver fuck up the final four since 2014. You know, one non-playoff driver. I, I, I can't recall one. Can you? No. Yeah. So, like, not at all. Thank God we haven't seen that yet. And, and I if think anybody's going to do it, it. if anybody's going to do it, it'll be David Starr this weekend. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, like, like, just thank God it hasn't happened yet. So, that's what I'm trying to say is like, these guys are probably going to win the race. But, and this is the but I wanted to talk about the biggest but I have. That was phrased that way on purpose. <laughs> There's two drivers, I think, that could factor into the win. Obviously, not a Hendrick. Obviously, not a Joe Gibbs Racing driver. But since when has Joey Logano ceased to be aggressive? Yep. And we've seen him at the short, the non-Martinsville especially, short flats this year. He's been stellar. Last year, he's been stellar. If you take out Martinsville, every single finish of his is in the top six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we remember New Hampshire. He, he finished fourth, but probably had the fastest car because he was two laps down. Richmond, he was right up there for both Richmond races. Um, I could see him saying, hey, if I'm in second towards the end of this race, I could pressure a championship contender to get the win because I know they're going to have to give. Uh, even even if they won't, <clears throat> Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott, excuse me. Uh, yeah. Even if they won't give, they should give because they're not racing Joey Logano. The other one, and this is the one I'm really curious on, is Kevin Harvick. If you can find him something like 40 to 1 to win the race, 35, 40 to 1, and right now at Circa, he is exactly on that number. I'm pulling it up right now. He's 35 to 1 to win at Circa. I don't hate that. You know why? Because Kevin Harvick doesn't give a flying fuck about these four drivers. Kevin Harvick has zero wins this year, which would be the first time since 2009 when he was with Roush or sorry, uh, Richard Childress, one of those R teams, Richard Childress racing that he hasn't won a race. He wants to win this year. He doesn't want that win, uh, that, that streak to come to an end. So if he is up there, I could see him racing for the win and Phoenix is one of his best tracks. He won in Phoenix in 2012. He won at Phoenix in 2013. He won twice at Phoenix in 2014. He won in Phoenix in 2015. He won in Phoenix in 2016. He only finished fifth and sixth at Phoenix in 2017. But in 2018, he won at Phoenix. It hasn't been as good the last three years. He's only finished ninth, fifth, second, and seventh only. You know, and then uh, sixth this year. Uh, But... Obviously, Stuart Haas Racing has fallen off this year, but at the short flats, they're still pretty good. Look at Eric Almarola. Look at Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick, his finishes this year at short flats, sixth at Phoenix, the the 24th at Richmond, but he was running sixth when the bad things happened. Sixth at New Hampshire, 
and eighth at Richmond. So six, 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 and eight essentially at the short flats that aren't Martinsville. I think he could be up there and Phoenix is his best track. And if he wanted to get aggressive, especially if Chase Elliott was in front of him, he could, he could. I don't think it's a slam dunk bet. I'm not dumping all my money on Kevin Harvick, but I don't hate if you can find him at 35 to one. If you can find him at 30 to one, 28 to one, maybe is pushing it, you know, but like, I don't hate it. And what do those top three, five, ten odds translate to? I know yep. my friend Greg, uh, and and I know a lot of you who follow me on Twitter will know um, that I, I talk to or retweet this G. Mathern guy on Twitter. Well, Greg is actually my friend. He and I went to high school together, and he's since gotten into the NASCAR betting game um, past year or two, uh, especially. He was looking at Harvick minus 140 for a top ten. I think that's a great bet. The only reason I told him to hold off is because I'm like, I kind of like Harvick to win. I'm kind of curious at what the equivalent top three or five odds are. Uh, And I'm kind of curious on what any head-to-head odds will translate to with Harvick. Because I think this is a very good situation for Kevin Harvick. He can be aggressive if he wants to. Uh, I I, I don't think he's going to win. Let's put it out there. I think there's maybe, what, a 2%, 3%, 5%, 10% chance he wins. Somewhere in that neighborhood. I, have to do, I haven't done the model yet. But 2% wouldn't be good, obviously, if he's, uh, you know, if he's um, 35 to 1. But 4% is good. Mm-hmm. If it's a 4% chance he wins, that's a good bet. But what are the equivalent top 3, top 5, top 10 head-to-head odds there that you can get with him? Um, I know, obviously, all the non-championship contenders are are weighted down. So it's not going to be as lucrative on the head to head market. But my point is I don't see Kevin Harvick right now at minus minus one forty for a top 10. I don't see him going to minus 200 or minus minus one sixty five or whatever. You know, I, that's not going to move. Brian Blaney didn't move for four days at minus minus one fifty at Martinsville. He didn't move for like three or four days. I don't think Kevin Harvick at minus minus one forty for a top 10 is moving right now. I want to see where the market shakes out with Kevin Harvick because I could see myself loading up on some Kevin Harvick this weekend in various markets, whether it's a group bet, a head-to-head bet, top three or five or ten bet, um, or maybe even a Salt Bay sprinkle on a race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Kevin Harvick, you know, when, when you first talked about him on Twitter, you know, you, I, I just got the inkling that you that you were probably going to like him even more than just a top ten. I flashed back to the first Phoenix race this year, and, and he wasn't, he wasn't good. He was he was he was good. I take that back. He was good. He wasn't great. He wasn't the Kevin Harvick we're used to here. But I think that team has turned things up a notch in the playoffs. We talked about this a little bit ago. Um, so I'm with you there. Like I could see him stealing it. And yeah, if he's running second, Chase Elliott's running first, why wouldn't he rough him up? I I wouldn't be surprised if if there's gonna be anyone that wrecks a championship contender and we see it happen. It's going to be Kevin Harvick, and it's going to be Chase Elliott. And, oh, I'm here for it if that happens. But also with Joey Logano, you look at his recent Phoenix races, you can easily say he's the best car here right now. Mm -hmm. Last four races, he's led 143, 125, 60, 93. He's done that starting ninth, second, 13th, and second. Uh, His last three races here, he's finished second, third, and first. 
there's no reason to think that that Penske, you know, they don't have any car in the championship race. So they're all going all out to get this win. So I, I agree with you on both those. I think they could both potentially win it. I think most likely scenario is definitely the championship four. One of those guys winning. Yeah. Um, you mentioned additionally the, you know, as the week goes on, there's one thing to remember this week. We have practice, we have qualifying, and we have both of those on separate days before Sunday's race. How is that going to affect betting lines? And how much should how much stock should we put in this single practice session that we have on Friday afternoon uh, for this race? Because if it's you know if Larson comes out and he puts down the fastest lap by a half a second, his odds are probably going to get even shorter. How do you think we should react to that as fantasy players as betters? Is that saying like like I, like I've said I'm I think Kyle Larson. I think he could run away with this, but at the same time, hasn't really been his strongest track type. That's the only knock I have on him. But, you know, and then qualifying is a whole nother beast. You know, there's no guarantee anymore that these guys start one, two, three, four. We could see them spread out throughout the field. I think they're all going to qualify well, but there's no, I don't think they're going to go one, two, three, four. So we, I think we could see another car up there. Um, but yeah, so like, what do you think about this? It's 50 minutes, this practice session on Friday. Do you think we should react? Well, how should we react to this? How much, how much weight should we put into this practice session? Because we're not used to having practice sessions this year. Yeah, we, we aren't. We're not used to it. Um, I will say I think it helps the big teams. So the teams, a lot of resources, the four car teams, because they have four cars or three cars to give information back. So Hendrick and Gibbs are helped. Stuart Haas racing is helped. Um, Penske also helped, right? But like it helps these massive teams. And the reason, one of the reasons I think we've seen so many air quote upsets or, or weird winners or whatever this year is due to the lack of practice. Um, These, these top tier teams, especially Stuart Haas racing has, hasn't had a chance to just, hit it off right away part of it's the schedule more road courses etc but i mean look who's won the road courses this year it's been chase elliott and kyle larson essentially outside of christopher bell that one uh daytona roval but I-, I think it'll help the big teams i actually think it'll make the final four bigger favorites but it does help Stuart haas racing it does help penske you know to figure out where they are and they've been especially penske has been much better at the 750 short flats and especially Logano this year uh and even Stuart haas racing has been way better at the short flat 750s than the 550s i mean you compare the 750 results to the 550 results not even close and especially if it's short flat eric almarola one kevin harvick's been right up in the top six or eight all year uh, almarola has been a top six six or eight car at every single one of them outside of the first martinsville race um even even though he finished i think it was 11th the first phoenix race he started in the back, came all the way up into the top. I think it was 11 at the end of stage one, worked his way in the top seven or eight at the end of stage two, got a penalty at the stage two caution, had to work his way all the way back through the field again, just to finish 11th at, in the final stage. Almarola is legitimately a top 10 short flat track driver, probably a top six or eight short flat track driver this year. Like 
Stuart Haas Racing has been good at these tracks. So practice, I think, will give them a chance to dial it in. But it will also it'll give everybody a chance to dial it in. And what I think you'll see is the ones that are really good here will become even better. And I think this actually helps Kyle Larson because, like you mentioned, he hasn't been amazing. And this team has been a team that is, for most races, you know, even if they've been good at the start of the race, they've gotten really good at the end of a lot of races. And we say that mostly with the 550s, but there have been some 750s that's happened as well, where I think Pocono or Dover, even though they didn't win Dover, uh, they're still really good at the end there. Um, This team has come on strong in the second half of races. So I definitely think this helps Kyle Larson. Um, But you're right. If Kyle Larson kicks ass in practice and he's already won plus 170 to win at circuit what is he going to be after practice if he kicks ass in practice right. like is he is he going to be even money to win i don't know like it blows my mind because he shouldn't be he sh- like the best short flat track racers this year have been martin truex jr denny hamlet and joey logano if you especially if you remove martinsville those are the three those are the three best this year and none of those are kyle larson even Chase Elliott has been good, but not amazing. Um, I'm, I, I actually think this is really, really an interesting race. Because I can see Kyle Larson kicking ass. I mean, he was... He, we weren't wrong at Martinsville in terms of a fantasy or a betting perspective. But he led, what was it, 77 laps, I think it was. Which was over the 68 and a half that you posted on Twitter. Um, which I was surprised by for Kyle Larson. Uh, I, I, he wasn't the best car. He, he wasn't. And once he gave up the lead, it was obviously with a speeding penalty, but it was pretty hard for him to get it back. He came back up to third at one point, but I don't think he was the best car. I don't think he was as good as Danny Hamlin. I don't think he was as good as Chase Elliott. I don't think he was as good as Alex Bowman. Um, probably not as good as Martin Truex Jr. when Truex wasn't damaged. I think, but maybe Carl Larson had the fifth best car, but uh, that's still pretty good for him at Martinsville. So I could see him dominating Phoenix. But again, I could see Chase Elliott. And of course, I can see Hamlin and Truex because they've been dominant at the 750s this year. This is going to be a fun finale at Phoenix. We were saying Martin's going to be fun, and it was. This is going to be fun as well, in my opinion, because uh, any of the four drivers here, again, can win this race. And, and that's exciting. I think that's great. It's not like I actually think it would have been worse if Ryan Blaney made the final four because I legitimately would not consider Ryan Blaney a contender here at Phoenix. So I think this is. An awesome final four. Yes. I'm going to go back and, you know, you made a good point. I've been talking about this all all year as well. Kyle Larson getting better as the races go on. That team just knows how to progress with the track. They are absolute masters at that. But one thing I really want to point out here, like I said, we're not used to practice this year, but we have had practice at similar tracks and at non-road courses. I'm not looking at road course practice this year. I'm looking at Nashville. Mm-hmm. Go to the Nashville race. You go yes. to the Nashville practice session. Kyle Larson has a 10-lap average speed, almost a full mile an hour faster than everybody else. He absolutely dominated that race. You know who was second in 10-lap average in that for that practice session? Ross Chastain. You know where he yep. finished in that race? Second. second. You know who was seventh in 10-lap average for Nashville? Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Do you know where he finished in that race? Sixth. Sixth. Exactly. The So far, okay, this is one race. So let's take a look at Charlotte, the Coca-Cola 600. 
Kyle Larson, best 10-lap average by a half a mile an hour. He led 327 of the 400 laps. Um, Again, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. showed up in practice, fourth best 10-lap average. He ended up 12th, which was Mm -hmm. very good for him at a a mile-and-a-half track this year. Um, Byron, second best in 10-lap average in that race. He ended up fourth in the race, had probably the second-best car through the first three stages and then fell off a little bit. My point here being, if Kyle Larson comes out and has another practice session like that, there's no doubt in my mind that it's probably not even going to be close, to be honest with you. If he comes out and he's not the fastest and he doesn't have great long run speed, that's where I'm going to be like, okay, this this race could be open. So I think I think practice, as much as I hate when I when my brain goes to practice and puts a ton of stock in it, especially this weekend like this with one 50-minute session, I think you really need to pay, pay attention to these four teams because if Kyle Larson, as Kyle Larson especially, gets out there and just has an absolute rocket ship right off the truck, it's mm-hmm. going to be tough to beat him because this team doesn't miss, and he doesn't miss. So when they're, when they're there from the start, it's really hard to beat him. Um, but like you said, where does his odds go? So I think Caesar Sportsbook is a lot like Circa. They they downgrade the the favorites, if that's the right term. I don't know if I'm using the right term there. But then they get generous on the long shots. So they opened for the championship odds this weekend, or for the, this week. Kyle Larson, minus 110 to win the championship, which is by far the worst odds out there. Do not bet. Kyle Larson to win the championship on Caesars, but they have the longest odds on Chase Elliott at plus 300 Hamlin plus 450 Truex plus 550. It's a lot like Circa. I think everybody thinks Kyle Larson is going to go win it all. And like I said, if, if he comes out during practice and shows up, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult for me to even think that, you know, these other guys have without bad luck, without Kyle Larson speeding like he did like three times in the first Phoenix race this year, mm-hmm. without that happening again, them having a chance as, as crazy as that. Three sounds. times in the first Phoenix race and two times this past Martinsville race. Mm-hmm. Just, just throwing it out there. Problem. Just throwing more... it out there. Remember when Denny Hamlin had the speeding problem? It's not as bad as what Kyle Larson's going through right now at short flats. That's true. He especially you know martinsville last week that was that was again it's like dude like this and it's Twice. it's happened multiple races this year where he's had multiple speeding penalties in the race like mm-hmm. you're not gonna be able to do that i will note though in the first phoenix race he did have like the second most fastest laps yes. so i keep flashing back to that as far as you know how kyle larson is going to be this weekend and, and larson Larson and Almarola had the two most deceptive Phoenix results because right. they both came through the field multiple times. Um, and Larson, I mean, to his credit, Larson finished ahead of Almarola and had to come through the field three times, I think, whereas Almarola had come through the field twice. But uh, that aside, like, it's, and, and you make an amazing point about practice because I think practice this year is more important than back in 2019 or 18 or 17 or 16 when I would do, you know, all of my NASCAR content for Rotoviz or other sites. Uh, well, I mean, just Rotoviz, but I should say. Uh, like, practice then 
wasn't as important because there were so many of them. But this year, there's only been four or five. And and how many have been at Ovals? Just Nashville and Charlotte, right? So you mentioned the strong correlation between practice and how they run in the race or finishing results. Well, practice is the number one factor in most of the models I do for the the predictable tracks, let's say. The one and a half mile tracks, the the shorter flat tracks that are more predictable. Not as much ones where strategy comes into play like a Pocono or the old Indy uh, two and a half mile oval. Um, because there's a ton of strategy and like weird stuff that can happen there where you can like pit on the lead lap and still stay on the lead lap before the end of the stage caution, et cetera, et cetera. So it shakes things up, but the more predictable ones practice strongly correlates with finishing position. And I think this year it's been even stronger. Now that said, don't get carried away with it because if you're a DFS player and I'm not saying a better, but a DFS player, don't get carried away with it because if everybody gets carried away with it, then it becomes too chalky to rely on practice. And one of the biggest things you could do to be successful in DFS back in 2018, 17, 16 is I wouldn't say ignore practice, but not put too much stock into practice. Uh, that was one of the biggest edges in DFS success was 15 to 18. Let's say was not putting too much. No, there still should be emphasis on practice, but not putting too much emphasis on practice but for this particular race for this particular season for these particular circumstances i think putting emphasis on practice especially among the final four is important um and especially with kyle larson as you're saying because if that team is kicking ass they're just gonna kick ass uh and and that's you know that's how what it comes down to even i mean again Credit where credit's due. Even this past weekend at Martinsville, he did a lot better than I was expecting. Um, he still wasn't a top five or a top four car. Maybe he was a fifth place car, I think. Um, and and obviously it showed because some of those guys started behind him and had to catch him. He kept winning the race off pit road. That's how he kept leading some of these laps after two or three different cautions. Chase, Ell- by the way, that 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 nine team had terrible pit stops again. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, Kept losing the lead to Chase Elliott, or or, or I should say, uh, kept gaining the lead from Chase Elliott, and uh, you know that's what kept him out front. But he wasn't great at Martinsville. He was good. He was he was probably a fifth place car, I think, in my opinion. Um, but at Phoenix, which is the most different short flat from Martinsville, I can't stress enough. It's the most different short flat from Martinsville. I think he'll be a top two or three car um, and he could even be a championship winning car, but it's going to be interesting because Hamlin and Truex have been right there at the seven fifties and you can never count out Chase Elliott who won the championship at this track last year. So dude, this is going to be exciting. I don't know what else to say. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And like you said, I like practice. I'm, I'm going to be laser focused on the practice times lap times of the top four because there's no reason for them to go out there and sandbag and do anything. They're going out to make sure that their setup is where it's at. And if one of them's way off, that's going to be a huge red flag. And if one of them's like Kyle Larson, if he's a half mile an hour, the faster than everybody else, man, it's, it's, 
they're not going to fix these things overnight. They're pretty much going to be stuck with what they've got. They're going to be able to make adjustments, some adjustments, but nothing major. Like, I practice is going to be very telling for those four. I'm with you. Do not overvalue practice on the rest of the field, but I think the final four, I think you can, you can definitely – if there's a if there's a huge advantage, I think you know it's one of those where DFS wise you you lock them in. Like if mm-hmm. Larson's the if if Larson has a half mile an hour faster car and ten lap average, and then he goes out there and wins the pole, to me that's a lock in because he's gonna be that fast. He's gonna get fastest laps and he's gonna lead. Um, yeah, it's it's gonna be very fun. It's nice to have practice. Um, I'm not, I do, I'm glad this is the final weekend of doing content. Like, it's a long season. We've talked about this before. This is extremely long season for, for us that do this every week, that that focus on this every week, that put a ton of time into this. We both love it. It's It's awesome, but it's just, it's time consuming. And I'm not looking forward to, you know, qualifying is on Saturday night at 7 eastern it's probably not going to get over till 8 8 30 i'm just i'm not looking forward to a late saturday night after qualifying um especially if i do like all of my content to the full extent that i normally do um Mm -hmm. maybe maybe do a couple things different just because of that but again like it's it's going to be at the same time it's going to be nice to have data it's going to be nice to have actual qualifying as opposed to just the formula and it's the final race of the year and it's yeah yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> I I'm I'm okay with it because we haven't had to go through this kind of a grind in what two or three months um yeah. since we had some of those newer road courses like Road America or uh Indie Road Course etc. Uh so it's been a while since we've had to do this. So I'm okay with it, but um you're right, it is a little bit of a time crunch especially with qualifying being in the evening afternoon evening uh the day before the race, I'm very much looking forward to the potential of a practice followed by qualifying on Saturday next year. So it's kind of a consistent thing with the Sunday race um, that oh, you know, NASCAR released the schedule for next year, not just the schedule, but the times I should say. And yep. next year, all of the Sunday races start no earlier than 2 PM Eastern time. So that's one thing. And, and you and I have talked about this on a prior episode of Stacking Denny's, um, the TV contract and stuff. NASCAR apparently has data and has shown data that shows starting later is better for them. And and I think that's why they make this decision, which sucks because if there's a rain lily, we get these situations where, especially at a track without lights, let's ask Bob Hockris, uh, you know, what happens and, and do we get pushed the next day? And obviously that hurts the viewership, but apparently the numbers are so much better that having a couple races pushed to the next day is actually net positive for them. Um, they're also getting more races on broadcast than they've had since yep. 2009, which is great. Uh, and the races that were on NBCSN, NBCSN is ceasing to exist at the end of this year, are moving to USA. More people have USA than NBCSN. I think this is all net positive minus the start times. The start times will absolutely be good for nascar because they've shown data that says later is better but uh as far as dfs and and betting and all that the the one benefit i see 
is you have a little bit longer in the mornings to set your lineup on Sunday morning, right? So there's that. And especially if they have the practice on Saturday with followed by the immediate qualifying session or whatever, I don't know how it's going to shape up. Um, we don't have the full details on that yet. Uh, unlike some other people with inside information, apparently, uh, you know, they, <laughs> they, they, they apparently know what's going on. And, uh, but you know, I think the idea is a, a, a shorter practice session followed by a, a qualifying session, but no full details on that yet, but I'm, I'm excited for that kind of a format because we get the benefit of practice data. I don't think it's going to be as extensive as it used to be where we get, especially, uh, especially before COVID 2018 and, and the beginning or sorry, 2019 and beginning of 2020 before COVID where we'd get not only 10 lap data, but NASCAR started putting out five, 10, 15, 20, 25 and 30 lap data uh, yep. in practice. I don't think we're seeing 30 lap runs in a 30 minute practice session. Let's just put it out there like that. You know what I mean? Um, especially if qualifying is immediately to follow and they want to have qualifying set up that type of stuff. So I don't think we're getting crazy long run data, but I do think we'll see, some 10 lap averages in there, which would be helpful. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting way, an interesting dynamic for DFS again. And how much does that factor in? And how much does that factor in with the new car? Because we're getting a new car and this isn't something we've talked about, but we had our last one and a half mile track with the, the current generation car. We're about to have our last race period with the current generation car. So, everybody can go wreck them if they want to, because they're never using those cars again. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that changes things for this Phoenix race versus last year's Phoenix championship race, but I don't think it really changes much. I'm not putting a ton of stock into it, but the point is we're getting a new car yet next year. We're getting practice and qualifying back next year. Probably that's going to be a whole nother dynamic. And, our models, our uh, analysis is going to have to react to that and react appropriately. So one of the things, mm -hmm. and you and I actually talked about this. So we recorded Stacking Denny's last week, and then we'll sit here and wait for the, the recording to render or whatever, and we'll bullshit around. We talked about it, but like, I think my model next year is going to be very generic for the first few races. It's going to encapsulate a lot of different conditions. It'll probably give more weight to conditions that are more relevant to what I expect the car to be. Right. So I don't know, let's say it's 650 horsepower or whatever. I'll probably pull in more races that are closer to 650 horsepower, uh, than 850 horsepower, you know, from like 2005 or whatever. Um, I don't exactly know how it's all going to work, but I'm open-minded to a wide range of conditions because we don't know exactly how things are going to play out, especially for, the style of certain drivers. So I'm actually going to be using data all the way from when loop data was started in 2005 to analyze races for next year at the start of the season. And I'm, but my model is going to update quickly. Uh, it's going to be a Bayesian process and a machine learning process. That's going to update as new information comes in. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, there's, that's just the whole other element that, isn't even related to Phoenix, but just related to betting and fantasy NASCAR. That is going to be interesting for both you and I as content creators to deal with next year. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like it could be an evening of the playing field. It's definitely going to be an evening of the playing field, I think, in the first month. And then it's going to be, like you said, who reacts the best, the mm -hmm. most accurately 
after those first few races and 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 kind of stays on the path of what data because I think we can all agree the data from like this year, the data from last year, it's it's not going to be worthless, but it's not going to be accurate. You know, it's we don't know what to expect with this car next year, and the Daytona 500 isn't going to tell us anything. Um, then we go to Auto Club, which is a two mile track. Then we go to Vegas, a mile and a half. Then we go to Phoenix, which is a mile flat track. That's three different, very four different, different yeah. track types, very different track types over the first four races, and then we got. Atlanta, which will be a brand new track, basically, and then Circuit of the Americas, which will be a road course. So it's like I'm already like and I said it last week with Martinsville. I was like, this isn't a very good betting week. I don't plan on betting much. I don't plan on doing DFS much. I stuck to that. I I bet on Blaney top 10. That was pretty much my only bet. Um, And then DFS, I made like six lineups. And that's probably what I'm going to do the first part of the season next year, because mm-hmm. It's just you can't do anything confidently like that when when there's so many unknowns. You can um, take advantage of longer shot odds. I exactly, will say that. Yes. I will say that. So PJ Walsh of Action Network came to Vegas for the Las Vegas race in 2019. And you remember that was important because that was the first mile and a half under the current kind of set of rules 2018 they were low down force high horsepower and they changed everything in 2019 to be this high down force 550 package we we're like what is it is it going to be like a you know essentially like a daytona light or a talladega light and and we do think that's the direction they're trying to go with like in atlanta if you saw the simulation i mean we talked about it the simulations for atlanta next year with the new car and everything that's the direction we thought they were going so i made a couple longer shot bets in Vegas in 2019, they didn't pan out, but they weren't that far off. One of them was Ricky Stenhouse Jr. who finished sixth, uh, you know, which is which is pretty solid. And he, that was when he was still in a Roush car, not a JTG. Um, but I was like, what if this plays out more like a Daytona or a uh, you know or a Talladega than we expect? So there could be some opportunities for going against the grain for longer shot bets next year at the start of the season. But as we see time and again, different car, not car of tomorrow, uh, gen, whatever four gen six, it does different rule packages of the gen six, the same teams end up at the top. It might not be Hendrick every year. Maybe they're the third or second or fourth best team, but it's Hendrick. Gibbs, uh, Penske, Stuart Haas Racing, typically that are the dominant teams. And you can you can have some upside races for Richard Childress Racing or Ganassi, which next year will be defunct. Uh, this is the last race for Chip Ganassi Racing this year. And then they're leaving NASCAR um, and Trackhouse is buying their stuff. But you know, of Richard Childress Racing, Ganassi, Roush, they can all pop up in there in the top 10. Um I guess not Ryan Newman this year, but um, you know, for the most part, they can they can they're in the middle upper middle tier and can have some good races. Maybe those guys contend for top fives next year because of the, or especially early in the season because of things we're not expecting. And so, early next year is the time to, like you said, reduce the amount of volume you have, reduce the bets. But if you do maybe consider longer bets. I know 
I've seen, especially as the year goes on, people are betting heavier and heavier on favorites. That's what I've a trend I've noticed on Twitter. A trend I've noticed in our friend of circle of friends uh, and gamblers. And it, it's it's one of those things where it's like, uh, I hope you don't start that way next year. That's all I have to right. say. I hope you don't start that way next year. And that that opens up, you know, what are sports books going to do? Because they're there's going to be opportunities there, but will they adjust quickly or will they, you know, stick to the end? I am. I did pull up the 2022 schedule here on my screen. Um, in addition to, you know, you mentioned no, no earlier start time than two. Really, we're not seeing any start times before three until the playoffs, which is, you know, that's pushing most races back an hour. And again, these races that these tracks that don't have lights, I just feel like we're going to run into more issues next year. But like you said, NASCAR has the data. Um, But then, you know, when we get into the, it starts at Talladega in the playoffs next year, which is race number uh, with six to go. That's when they shift to all of them starting at two, except for the finale, two or two thirty. So we're going to have all these races starting an hour earlier than what we're used to. Once we hit the playoffs, Another thing, and I have to give them a shout out because they ha- they didn't do it this year. The last six races next year are on NBC. I think only like two of the last six races this year were on NBC. So thank you for doing that. And I'll fire Rick Allen and I'll be really happy. Oh, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, next year is going to be very interesting. Like, I don't. I don't want to say I'm apprehensive to to dig into it, but I'm kind of apprehensive. You know what I mean? Like it's it's an uncomfortable feeling, you know, when we're in position that we are that that people listen to us and and respect our opinions where it's I can't confidently say stuff. And I will openly like this weekend, I will openly say I suck at DFS at Phoenix. I am awful. I'm you can't get worse than me. Play Eric Almarola. Uh, <laughs> and I will say the same thing next year. Hey, these first six races might be rough. They might be great. They might be rough. If you if you follow along, thank you. Uh, if they're rough and you get mad, I'm sorry. But that's just the, the transparency and the, the honesty of we're this season is going to either be awesome or a total dud. I think, I don't think there's going to be any in between. I think, I think they're either going from to a, this. from a NASCAR standpoint, right? Right. Yeah. 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 I was saying not from a DFS. Cause we'll just that, that, that I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll be a total dud from a content right, right, providing right. standpoint, but I think from a on track competition standpoint, you're right. It could be a slam dunk or it could be a total dud. And I honestly don't know what to expect. Um, one of the things you're saying, which resonates with me very heavily, is don't put and, and and you tweeted this out as well. Don't put a ton of stock in the first six, seven, eight, whatever races. Reduce your volume. Understand the landscape we're in. Yes, you and I, as content providers, are still going to have to give our opinions. Uh, that's that's what we do. That's what we're trained on. That's especially for me. And I know for you as well, I have a PhD in studying data in mathematics and 
statistics. That's my degree. And pair it mm. with the fact that I've been a NASCAR fan since the 80s. The, it, that's what I do. It's what I love. It's what I'm passionate about. I think you all can tell. And we will adjust. We might get it wrong at the start. And I'm not saying you shouldn't call us out or whatever. But my point is, I think our predictions are our advice is going to be with the air quote grain of salt, like the caveat, like we don't know. And I think both you and I are going to say this, that like we're less confident. There's a lot of uncertainty, but in the end, we're going to adjust. And one of the things that you tweeted really resonated with me because this is how I've my whole motto DFS motto has been my whole life, uh, not life, but DFS life uh, career since especially in NASCAR. So I started DFS. I played some college basketball. I think it was in 2014, 15 uh, and had some success there. I built my own college basketball model. Um, and then I, then finally DraftKings brought around NASCAR uh, and I crushed NASCAR right from the start. Absolutely slayed it. Uh, it was awesome and have been successful every year. Since then, in DFS that I've played, I didn't play in 2019, obviously. Um, and this year, I haven't played DFS other than one track when I was not in Nevada. But uh, I will be back in 2022, most likely for DFS. We'll see. Um, but the point is, the tweet you made was two-thirds of your weeks you lost in DFS. But one-third of those weeks you won. And... Not only did it cover your losses, but it destroyed your losses. You made five figure this year, five figures this year. And that was me, especially, I can't remember which year it was exactly. It may have been 2017 or 18, but I had more losing weeks than winning weeks. And I made six figures in DFS that year. It was absurd. And every year in DFS, I profited that I played full time. Um, you're going to lose more than you win in DFS. If you play tournaments, that's the nature of the beast. If you play cash games only, we can't say that, but if you play tournaments only, yes, absolutely. Now it all depends on the structures, the, the tournaments you're entering, the formats you're entering, etc. on what you can expect to win and, and how many weeks you can expect to win. But over a 36 race sample size, you are now five figures profitable in DFS this year, despite only winning one third of those weeks. And that should be the expectation. That should be the normal. We should normalize that. You know, people say normalize this, normalize Normalize losing in DFS while still being profitable uh, in terms of number of losing weeks, but profitability because you are playing it exactly as how I did it from 2015 to 2018. Mm. And, and I, I also, you know, I posted that on Twitter, like people need to get comfortable with losing not only DFS, because you look at the averages of, of DFS players in general, and it's like 80 something percent. So when I'm losing 60%, that's good. That's mm-hmm. you're a lot better than normal. And that's what you need to be. But that also, you know, I also posted this and I've talked about this with, with some of my close friends. Like, I think we as a society and not to get too philosophical here, but I like to talk about it. I think we as a society need to get more comfortable with losing sometimes because it makes you better. 
I'll tell you what, I'll go through cold streaks in DFS. I do. And every single time it has made me better. I've had one not profitable year. There was one year I did not get a 1099 from DraftKings and it was 2019. I lost two grand that year over 40 slates or whatever. Um, Every single other year, I've gotten a 1099 from DraftKings, and that's all I care about. At the end of the year, that's all I care about. If I get that, I know I've done my job as a content creator, as a DFS player. I have done my job. But my point being, you know, even just generally in life, you cannot expect to win everything all the time. You cannot expect to win everything all the time betting. You cannot expect to win everything all the time DFS. And the more and the easier that your mind becomes to accepting that, the better you're going to be. Because I like last week, Ryan Blaney top 10, I put $3,000 on that bet. I lost it and I did not care because I know in the long run, I'm profitable. I know in the long run of that bet, I'm profitable. I know this year betting wise, I'm profitable. And here's the thing. I I just interrupt like Blaney was out to lunch. He was terrible, but it was still mm -hmm. a profitable bet. If you replay the situation a gazillion times over, Um, not just. Like, like even with Blaney's junk car, like he still could have somehow finished top 10. But like, what if they had just been Ryan Blaney at Martinsville like they always were? I don't know what the fuck happened there. There's Neither no way I. for any of us to predict that. None. But you're right. You make that bet every day, all the time, 100% of the time. And even when you reflect back on that loss, you make it again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's sometimes, uh, uh, there, then there's definitely been bets where I'm like, that bet fucking sucked. Like what did I do? The, the Justin Haley bet we just had a week or two ago at uh, Kansas. Yes. I was, I made a bad bet. We got lucky, but I made a bad bet. I needed more data on on uh, Sam Mayer, and Justin Haley has been mediocre at the mile and a half. So I I didn't realize Sam Mayer's upside as much as I could have, and and it's hard to when he's never finished better than ninth ever. Uh, and then had a career best day of eighth and still wrecked his teammate. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's like it's one of those situations where I still I learned from that. I, I made a bad bet. You got to learn from it. But the Blaney bet. You, you biggest bet of the year, you lost it. But guess mm-hmm. what? You'd make that bet again today. Yeah. And I might make the same bet on Harvick top 10 this week at minus 140, to be honest with you. I, I, I agree with that. I, I'm. My point is, I want to see what other Harvick bets come out there at what other books, because this might be a week where I load up on Kevin Harvick. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just have that feeling he is out for blood. This is one of his best tracks historically. This in Atlanta are his two best tracks ever, um, especially since the repave at Phoenix. Now I know they're running the track backward at Phoenix now, but it's still the same track. Like just because they moved the start finish line, it's, you still race it the same way. So Kevin Harvick has been completely dominant. This track, obviously Stuart Haas racing has fallen off. There's no doubt about that, but at the seven fifties, they're better. Yep. I love Kevin Harvick this weekend. I just want to see where all the bets fall, where the group bets fall, where the matchups fall, where the top three, five tens fall. Or the props, whatever props you can get fall, because I, I'm not going to be like, I'm, you know, Ryan Blaney minus 150 loading up, but I definitely feel like this is a week to bet Kevin Harvick. And I 
I don't think minus 140 top 10 is going to move anytime soon. Do you? No, Bet Rivers opened it at 164. And like, if, if we see movement, it's either because a book gets hammered or because other books are, are way different. But to underscore how Kevin, how good Kevin Harvick is at this racetrack, if you look at the last 16, 16 races here, that's an eight year span. He has finished worse than sixth, worse than seventh once, and it was a ninth place finish. Like Kevin Harvick is insanely good at Phoenix. They have better speed now than they did beginning of the year when he finished sixth. And the 750 package, the short flats have been where Stuart Haas have really excelled, especially Eric Amarola, which, by the way, we didn't even talk about Eric Amarola. He looked really, really, he looked really good at Martinsville. Yes. Like we've talked about him at short flats all year. And I know last week we were like, you know, Martinsville typically isn't his best track. You still have to think about him because it's a short flat. But typically Martinsville is his worst of them. And he had top almost a top five car. Like that yes. car was good. And that's that's just that's just another and, layer. And, of... and props to those people that that were on Eric Amarola for Martinsville for a top three, five, ten, whatever, because I know I tweeted out like, well, this is his worst track. It's Stuart Haas and blah, blah. It's as far as short flats. And I I will stand by the data we had, especially knowing Stuart Haas has been down this year, relatively speaking, but he killed it. And so anybody that bet that, even if you didn't win your bet, it was still a good bet. Let's just put it out there because um, Almirola legitimately was connecting for a top three at one point in the race. Uh on speed, on on pure, just being fucking good. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and starting twenty third. I mean, yeah, and he, he came tw- through the field. He started twenty third. He finished tenth in stage one. He finished sixth in stage two, and he finished the race in sixth. Like, if he would have started tenth, there's no doubt in my mind he would have been a top five, very strong car. So yeah, yeah, um, it's it's incredible, and I think we can see that again at Phoenix. Um, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was like, you know, we got the championship four. I think we've talked a lot about them. We've talked about Lagana. We've talked about Harvick. We've talked about, excuse me, Amarola. What else stands out for you at Phoenix as far as this weekend's race? Because, um, there's still, you know, 30 other cars, 30 plus other cars to talk about. One, one guy that I... I'll be honest. I as of right now, this is this is Tuesday night. I'm not 100 percent sure what to think. Is Kyle Busch because he was he was so we went through a transition here at Phoenix where it was Kevin Harvick and you just bet him to win every time and he pretty much did. And then the torch got passed to Kyle Busch. He mm-hmm. finished second, third, second, first, first, second, third. Earlier this year, he had he he was another one that had a ton of speeding penalties in the first race. Uh, he was eleventh here in the fall last year. He has been absolutely. I cannot underscore. I cannot un- overstate how awful he's been in the seven fifty package this year. But coming off of Phoenix, like Martinsville, I mean, he was a solid top five car, and and I didn't expect that at all. So, do I think? He's going to win the race. No. Do I think Kyle Busch could have a top five car? Yes. William Byron, I think, is going to have a very strong car. You know, and and of course, Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman has a 
very weird history at uh, Phoenix. Because you, yes. you remember back to when he, he filled over. in for Dale Jr., right? Yeah, he filled in for Dale Jr., started on the pole. He dominated that race. Until, ever since then. Until a late restart. Who was it? I think it was Logano that got into him, and it was a complete accident. But he Kenseth, dominated. It was Kenseth. That's right. It was Kenseth. It was, uh, yeah. it was a yellow car. Kenseth Logano, one of them. They have yellow cars. You know, they're friends, right? Uh, but uh, <laughs> Logano, Logano won the race, so you were you were right on both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not, I mean, I I know Kenseth and Logano, they're best friends, so I just confused them. Uh, but uh, no, because Kenseth that got into Bowman, and Bowman dominated that race. Now, but yeah, he has a weird history at Phoenix because he's dominated. And he's been out to lunch a couple times too. Yeah, so he dominated that race in 2016. He didn't race here in 2017, and then in 2018 is when he joined Hendrick full-time. Since then, the seven races since then at Phoenix, he started inside the top eight five times. He has just four top ten stage finishes over those 14 stages and no finish better than 13th. It is the weirdest thing ever. Like, How do you go from should have won the race to can't even finish top ten here? But can't then one Richmond this year. 10. Then yeah, one Richmond then, this year, and that's the that's the story with Alex Bowman. Is I that's where I kind of got what Hamlin was saying when he's like he's the slowest of the four because a lot of weeks he is just off. Is that more uh, an Alex Bowman thing though, or is it his crew chief? Do you want to know what it is? So part of it, I think, is the way he drives. So look at where uh, and and. <laughs> We can get into like Alex Bowman meta. I don't think that's the whole point of this podcast, but his race wins, his first two race wins came at Chicagoland and Auto Club Speedway, two incredibly high tire wear tracks. Chicagoland's right up there with Atlanta on tire wear. If you, for those of you who are not familiar with it because they stopped racing there in 2019. Uh, he won at Dover, which actually is a high tire wear track. He won at Richmond, which actually is a high tire wear track. We've seen in Richmond, the final stage, they're now splitting in into multiple pit stops instead of one pit stop. Um, yep. Pocono has tire wear. Uh, like, he does better with tire wear. But the one exception to, like, his really good results at these short flats was 2019, which was the high downforce year at short flats. Martinsville finished 14th. Richmond, he finished 17th. Uh, New Hampshire finished 14th. Richmond, he finished 23rd. Phoenix, he finished 23rd. And I didn't mention the first Phoenix race because he DNF'd and finished 35th. But he didn't have a top 10 at all in 2019 at the short flats. But after that, he was good again. Like, Phoenix hasn't been his best track, but he's been better, I should say, at the the other tracks. Like, um, you know, he, he pulled off a ninth place finish at Richmond last year. Um, that was his only top 10 in the non Martinsville ones, but at Martinsville, he pulled off a six and a sixth last year, this year, obviously he won Martinsville, he won Richmond, um, Phoenix, he got a 13th, which isn't so great. New Hampshire, he got a ninth. So like, it seems to be something around the downforce and the tire wear with Alex Bowman for me in terms of how I evaluate him as a driver, um, the less downforce, you know, the the short flat the less downforce 750 better all four of his wins this year at 750s um but when he wins at a 550 track it seems to be high tire wear so it mm-hmm. there's something about his driving style is what i feel like 
leads him to doing well here. But yeah, you're right. Alex Bowman is a, is a weird one. He could, he has a wide range of outcomes. Um, even at Phoenix, he has a wide range of outcomes. It's just like, he was so good. He was dominant in that 2016 race. And 2016 was low downforce. It was uh, not as low downforce as this year, but it was still really low downforce compared to, um, let's say, 2019. So I think that's better for him in terms of Phoenix this year. But, uh, you know, it's 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 going to be an interesting race because there's two things going on. There's the championship going on and there's everybody else. So the question is, how does everybody else do and one person i'm really interested in is christopher bell um he sucked at martinsville this past weekend like he was uh you know i mean he still finished 17th he was better than 17th in terms of his average running his his drive rating where he ran but he wasn't a top five car but everywhere else uh, the other short flats um he has been a top 10 car even in some cases maybe close to a top five car so we talk about Christopher Bell at these short flats. This is a driver I'm interested in this weekend. If you're playing DFS and you're going to get a little bit of extra help because, um, oh, never mind. We're not doing the qualifying format. I keep forgetting. We're qualifying this weekend. So I was going to say he's going to start a little further back, but forget that. It's uh, it's one of those weeks where we're actually qualifying. So um, that's going to throw another wrinkle into things as far as DFS is concerned. But I'm interested in Christopher Bell. Um s- I don't know if I'm interested in Matt Benedetto anymore. He was terrible at Martinsville. Um, his contract situation sucks. It feels like, you know, everything is kind of just blah there at this point in time for him. But he's typically been pretty good at these 750 low wear, or sorry, 750 uh, short flat tracks. So any other drivers catch your eye this weekend for phoenix that are you know not in the championship or playoff hunt um before i stick my foot in my mouth i want to make sure um bubba wallace i think you know definite sleeper there he was i forget what happened to him at martinsville but he had like a solid potential top 10 Mm -hmm. car Mm -hmm. um here at phoenix he's finished 10th in petty equipment he finished 19th last year. He finished 15th last year, and then he finished 16th this year in the first race. So, as far as like a long shot for maybe maybe a top 12 or so, I could I could see Bubba Wallace, but it's hard for me, you know, outside of who we talked about to actually win this race. I I don't see it being anyone other than the championship four, maybe Joey Logano and maybe Kevin Harvick. Um, I'd probably put him in that order. And championship it's, four. It's honestly, it's hard for me to see anybody just being like in the top ten outside of the big teams. Right. That's how it's been at these yeah. short flats all year. Yeah these these races aren't they've been very predictable, you know. And we talked about it last week with Martinsville. Like it is the the biggest difference between um, all of these short flats. But you go back to the first Phoenix race this year. Gibbs, like just running down the finishing order here. Gibbs, Penske, Gibbs, Penske, Hendrick, Stuart Haas, Hendrick, Hendrick, Gibbs, Penske. That was the top 10. Mm -hmm. So it was either a Gibbs car, a Hendrick car, or a Penske car, minus Kevin Harvick in sixth. The entire top 10. And and Almirola in 11th, right? Yeah, Almirola finished 11th. Who we expect. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and then Stenhouse in 12th. I'll give him that. But um, He's dock blocked yeah, this week, it's... by the way. Ricky Stenhouse Ooh. is dock blocked. I'm going for the top 10, baby. Let's go. Top 10. We need to get top 10 in shittiest random fantasy results for 2021. That's, we're we're yeah. right on the cusp. If Stenhouse can somehow fuck this race up, I'll be top 10. <laughs> uh, we're we're going on i think five weeks in a row of dock blocked where not only have they not just uh, not only have they been dock blocked but they've wrecked the fuck out of their car or at least had some kind of wreck i know daniel Suarez didn't wreck the fuck out of his car but he wrecked twice in that race he was involved in i think that first caution where newman spun and then he spun himself later in the race like we're on a five race streak of Whatever driver it is, whether it's it's Cody Ware or whether it's Kyle Busch wrecking themselves, it's it's astonishing. Yeah, I just pulled up, I just pulled up your stats. It's uh, five straight races of twenty seventh or worse, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like you've had shit boxes. You've had Bowman, you've had Kyle Busch, you had Suarez. So yeah, I uh, know it's it's incredible, and uh, I think Stenhouse could pull it off this week. He could pull off the the fuck it up because that's Rick a that's Ricky Stenhouse Ricky Stenhouse and B he's not good at short flats he has and I tweeted this out eight career career top 10 finishes at short flats and that's including Martinsville um and he's been racing for many years I, I think we're talking 66 races he has eight top tens so it's not looking good for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Just to even finish top 10. Plus he's dock blocked. Uh, it, it, it's rough, but the real question is, is Truex Jordan jinxed? Oh my gosh. I didn't even think about that today. So the my saga today I talked about was um, going and locking in the Truex race win and championship win parlay before DraftKings took it down. And then, yeah, I got a tweet, like, is the Jordan Jinx on Martin Truex Jr., which just completely kills all of my futures bets. Like, and I I don't, does it count? I don't know, because the rule has always been, it's who I bet on outright first. I've never had a situation where I've parlayed the outright winner first. So I don't know. I don't know if I claim that as a Jordan Jinx or not. What do you think? Well, the parlay includes a win. I know. Gosh, I just, I just don't want to accept it. I don't want to accept it that I just jinxed my boy. I, I, I will give you some leeway on this, but I have a hard time seeing you outright betting anybody else. I, I think I'm going to outright bet Larson to win the champ. But that's not the race. Just because. That's that's a very good point. <sighs> Technically, not the race. I'm just saying. Um, no, I agree with with and you out uh, unless... outright bidding Larson in the championship because, and and this is the other exciting thing about this weekend, and we haven't even touched on it much, but we both have futures on this race. A lot of people do. So how do you bet this race in that consideration as well? I have Truex eight and a half to one to win the championship. I've already locked up my Kyle Larson top four bet. 
So I'm free rolling this race. So I'm probably going to bet a little bit of Harvick and then just find some head to heads or top tens or whatever that I like betting. And that's going to be it for me. I don't think I'm betting any outrights this weekend. What are you doing? So I have, I have quite a bit of money on Truex to win. Um, but ever since the playoffs started and I said Hamlin was going to win, I've been putting some money on Hamlin. And then I grabbed, I tweeted this out a few weeks ago when Chase Elliott was like 12 to one. I was like, I'm going to bet Chase Elliott 12 to one. So the only futures bets that I have made this year are a shit ton on Truex to the point where I might cash some of these out if I'm able to, just so I don't lose all of them. Um, I put one bet on Logano at 50 to one last week because I couldn't pass it up. And then I have three bets on Hamlin future and three bets on Chase Elliott future. So I'm covered everywhere except for Kyle Larson. I, I can bet Larson to cover my ass and I don't lose money this week, which is, I'm going to do that no matter what. Like it's just, I don't know whether to put more on Larson because I just, I have this feeling his car is just going to be so good. Like I really want Truex to win. I think Hamlin can win. I predicted Hamlin to win. I think Elliot can win. I just don't, I'm not super confident they can beat that five car. Do you wait until practice? No. If I'm betting Larson, I'm betting it as soon as possible. What if he's absolutely dominant in practice and the lines don't adjust enough? That that's all I'm asking. Is because like then I'll then I'll bet it again. Okay, all right, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I like that answer. Well, because we were talking last week, because you're kind of in a similar situation where your only downfall is a certain outcome. Uh, so for you, right. it was with Trix not making the final four last weekend. And I was like, are you going to hedge? We talked about it on this, this very podcast. I was like, I think you should hedge because it's a plus EV bet, but you need to decide how much. And you decided to hedge just to cover the, your other bets, essentially. So you still made a great chunk on Truex making the final four. And I still think that was a good hedge because Truex almost didn't make the final four. He wasn't amazing. He right. was probably not favored to make the final four. He somehow still did. Um, I, I, and and even just just the statistics in general, I think that was a good bet. I'm just curious if you think betting Larson win the championship or the race or whatever you're getting right now is a good positive EV bet. And that's where I was. That's why I was asking if you wanted to wait for practice. Now, it, you know, like you said, if he kicks ass in practice, he should be. Should he be minus one ten like he is at Caesars? I don't know. I, so the reason I'm going to for sure go bet Kyle Larson, I'm probably going to go bet it as soon as we wrap this thing up is because I know somewhere where you can parlay the race win with the championship win and get it at seven to one. That's, that's an amazing bet. If, if yes. it will stand, yes, then you should. hundred percent Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to have basically my base is covered unless Larson wins it without winning the race. And I'm going to be rooting like hell for Truex. Um, yeah. Uh, then at that point, it's if Larson finishes second and wins the championship, that's the only way you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the chances of that happening, like if that's if that's how I end my year, then that's how I end my year. Exactly. But, it's like that's like the bet where it was like 
I think it was Kansas where it was like Larson to win the race. It was like plus 275, plus mm-hmm. 285. But Larson to win the race and leave the most laps was plus 400. Yep. And he was starting on the pole. Like, you, you just got to take the plus 400 there. You can't bet him to win the race when you can just take the plus 400 with the laps led as well because it's like a free parlay. Because uh, if he wins the race, he's almost certainly leading the most laps. It, you, you're getting the same situation here. Like, and this isn't just with Larson, it's whoever wins the championship, there's probably an 80-plus percent chance or better that they're winning the race too. So it's a free parlay almost. Not not perfectly, but almost. I think there's, like I said, two drivers that I think could try to interrupt that. But the probability of them combined is maybe 10%. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. Maybe. Maybe. It might be 8%. I don't know. But um, yeah, I 100% agree. If you can parlay that, I mean, that's a no-brainer. But even if you can't, um, you know, just just look for... If you're trying to hedge, and, and this comes down to what we talked about last week, hedge especially if you think it's positive EV. Uh, if you don't think it's positive EV... Then it comes down to a what's my risk tolerance, et cetera, the amount I could win, blah, blah, blah. Like, I understand if you have like, you know, a 500 to one and you bet 100 bucks on it, you know, goofing off in Vegas or whatever, they're friends, and then you're standing there to win $50,000 or whatever. I can understand hedging that even if it's a minus EV bet because you're guaranteeing locking up five figures. But, um, you know, I would much rather prefer hedging with a positive EV bet. Yeah, I'm with her. Um, a few other bets. Now that I'm thinking of it, there were a few lines on DraftKings Sportsbook. They they they've been nice with these little race parlays that they're doing lately. They've completely one. I have to I have to go on a little rant here. One, they've destroyed the top twenty odds, which we've talked about before. But there's no value in there. It was so fun while it lasted. Um, so thank you DraftKings for offering those, but they suck now. Two. Uh, as far as DFS goes, so last year's contest, $312 entry, hundred grand to first. It didn't fill, but it didn't like, there wasn't overlay. Mm-hmm. This year, they got a $400 contest with twenty-five grand to first, ten grand to set. They, I don't even want to play it. And this race, every single year, me and my brother-in-law like to both get into this contest and, you know, see how we do because he rarely plays dfs i obviously suck at phoenix and it's fun we go over there and drink beer and watch the race and hopefully get a chance to make some money um it's kind of like a little tradition i don't even even with that tradition that we do i don't want to play this contest because it sucks so bad and i don't know why DraftKings did it because high dollar contests are filling this late in the season the big GPPs are filling late in this season. Demand is higher than it's been in, in, I would argue, any previous year. And you throw out this shit sandwich of a contest. Now, obviously, not all contests are out yet. This is Tuesday. They could throw something else out there on Wednesday. I don't think it's going to happen. That's why I'm complaining right now. But damn it, like, why? Why? It's the final race of the year. I don't know, man. Um, yeah, DraftKings... I mean, just like NASCAR saying they're going to, you know, do two o'clock or later Eastern start times, DraftKings apparently has their own calculations on all of this. 
Uh, not just on the DFS side, but on the sports betting side. Obviously, they get killed in top 20s, like you were saying. I, I'm questioning whether they're even taking enough top 20 bets right now to justify their lines. Like, they probably, even with the shitty lines they put out in, shitty for them, good for us, lines they put out in top 20s, uh, maybe they didn't make any money at all. Maybe they lost money. But at this point, I can't see how they're making a ton on top 20 bets because there's almost nothing worth betting out there don't look at it pure quiz what do you think david Starr's top 20 odds are Uh, on drafting seven to one six to one yeah like what are his real odds of finishing top 20 50 to one zero you know like (laughs) 100 to one like it doesn't uh, i mean I, and and I know I just mentioned David Starr here, but like some of these are absurd. Um, Ryan Newman's minus one ten. Uh, Michael McDowell's minus one ten. Like they're if you were a better, you would need them to finish top ten like fifty two and a half percent of the time or whatever. Like I I don't see value in a single top ten line this weekend. And the championship favorites are 30 to one favorites, not underdogs, but one to 30, not 30 to one, one to 30. Like, uh, how yeah, can they, you bet a top 20? Out, how can you bet a top 20 at all this weekend? I don't see why you would, unless you just want the action. Cause like, and then they have Kevin Harvick at minus 140 for a top 10. Like it doesn't make right, sense. Right. Yeah, but so these these playoff specials that they have, I have a couple I want to I want I think are good bets. Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, and Denny Hamlin to finish top five plus three ten. I love that. Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, William Byron to all finish top ten plus two sixty. I don't love it, but I like it. Right. Um. What's really weird, though, is so they have Larson Elliott Hamlin to finish top five at plus 310. I think this is a mistake by DraftKings Sportsbook because a little bit further down the line, they have all four championship four drivers to finish top five plus 260. <laughs> in other words, the values in the 310, you only got need three of them to do it. So Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that 310 really stuck out to me because... I, it, the weakest link I would say is Denny Hamlin there, and I, I disagree. I, I disagree. Well, you you're hoping Elliot gets wrecked or something, don't you? No, no. I just I don't think Denny Hamlin's the weak link this year at the short flats. I between think he's those three, incredible. You think Larson's the the weakest between those? Oh, I thought you were saying between the four. Uh, I, I would think Elliot would be the weakest of well, the three or the four. I, I just, Hamlin has been so incredibly good. Nashville doesn't count, or sorry, not Nashville. Uh, New Hampshire doesn't count because of the rain thing. He, mm. Truex and Kyle Busch got fucked on the rain thing. Uh, but he finished third at Phoenix. He dominated Richmond, won both stages and finished second. And then he dominated Richmond. He won both stages and finished second. Yeah. I'm struggling to see where, and, and he probably should have won this Martinsville race aside from Bowman, you know, probably should have finished second. I should say I, Bowman was the best car and finished third at Martinsville earlier this year 
while leading the most laps. Like, I'm struggling to figure out why we're making him the least favorite here when he's probably maybe the favorite, uh, <laughs> potentially. I mean, I know it's the, the Denny Halen mentality thing that you're seeing, but like, if we just look at the data, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. at Phoenix like tracks, Phoenix and Richmond. Why would we look at data? Uh, he's the <laughs> he's probably potentially maybe the favorite. You're not wrong. I will say that. Yeah. So, and so, do you agree that that's a good bet though? Plus three ten. Uh, I those three. I mean the the bad. I don't even understand the plus two sixty one, but the plus three ten one makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. That that underscores again. Do you maybe this race is more wide open than I even want to say? Like, how close do you think these four are? Oh, maybe even three. Like, close. Do you I've think Truex is as close as I want him to be? I've got Chase Elliott rated fourth, but it is an incredibly close fourth to the other three, and the only reason is because he hasn't quite, quite. You know, I say it like as my voice pitch raises, been as good at the short flats as Truex or Hamlin, and, but I do think Hendrick has made gains, and I think Larson's just a little better than Elliott. I mean, this is this is an incredibly tight Final Four. I think the only other one that might be this tight would be 2018, when it's the big three in Logano, and Logano got in early and only focused on uh, Homestead, and he was still one of the best cars that whole year. I think this is right up there with 2018. I think this is going to be a fucking awesome race. And remember 2018, Logano was the fourth in in the pecking order as far as odds. Yeah. So hopefully that's a good omen toward Martin Truex Jr. winning. That would be that'd be fun. That'd be really fun. Speaking of Logano, he's since 2014, he's made the final four every even numbered year. So book it, Joey Logano, the final four next year. <laughs> Uh, I can't wait to. I, I hope they offer those to make the final four bets again and allow. Th- those were some of the most fun bets this year to parlay. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Because I I got like Priest to finish top five at Daytona plus Truex to finish top four in the points, and it was like I forget what the odds were, but astronomically high. And of course, you know, Daytona anything could happen, and anything did happen, and that's fun. I think it was Priest top ten, maybe. Hmm? I think it was Priest top 10, right? No, it was top five. Didn't Ryan Priest finish? Yeah, he finished sixth at Daytona. No. Yes, he did, because he finished sixth and then ninth. He's uh, the 69 member this year, finishing sixth and ninth mm. in back-to-back races. No, Daytona, August. Priest, he finished fourth. Oh, the other Daytona. I'm yeah, dumb, second my bad. Time. I thought you meant the 500 because we were talking about the 500. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, second yeah. Daytona. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he did. If not, then... Priest might have the best charged. average finish this year at Daytona. Sixth and fourth. Uh, Yeah, I think he does, actually. Yeah, because McDowell won, but then he finished 39th. And then Harvick finished fourth and 15th. Elliott finished second and eighth. Um, and... Hamlin finished five and thirteen. Who finished? Finished uh, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, 
So I, I think Priest has the oh Austin Dillon finished third and seventeenth. So yeah, I think Priest has the best average finish at Daytona this year. Nice. And now he doesn't have a ride next year. Well, that's uh a function of Same. I guess being twenty-seventh in the points and your teammate being twenty-second. Same with your boy Quinn Half. My boy, Will, where'd that come from? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am I a I am a Quinn Half fan. No. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about uh, what about your boy Pasta here? I haven't heard anything. He finished twentieth last week though. Shout He's 100 points Anthony behind Alfredo. Corey LaJoy. And Corey LaJoy missed a race. Is that bad? I mean, he's 94 <laughs> points behind Corey LaJoy, but I'm assuming we can round that to 100. Well, he's still my boy, and hopefully he still has a ride next year. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's going to be interesting because there's some a little bit of things that are unsettled. Um. The Cup Series mostly seems to be locked in. Mostly. Not completely. Like, what is uh, Front Row going to do? What's going to happen, for example, um, at Spire? Uh, seems like everything else, though, is locked in, right? Like, is there a, is there anything in doubt right now? Colleague is running two teams, and I don't think they've said who. Yeah, uh, it's Haley and somebody, right? I don't think they've named the other one. That's yeah, exactly. Um, Almondinger's driving a partial schedule. Well, I think that second car might just be a partial car, <laughs> like split like, between drivers. That could be it. Yeah, like I mean, we uh, saw this year with the fifteen or whatever. Yeah, I'm kind of going through the list now. I, I don't see anybody that I'm like, oh, they're. I mean, outside of Matt De Benedetto, but we know Harrison Burton's replacing him. Speaking of which, um, who do you like to win the Xfinity championship? I like Austin Sindrick to win it, but I wouldn't be surprised if Daniel Hemrick wins it finishing second. (laughs) (laughs) How much of an indictment would that be on the format if a guy who has never won in a NASCAR National Series, never won in K&N, Never won in Wayland Modified. Never won in Arca. Wins the championship without winning a race. And you know what all the people on Twitter will say? He deserved it. Daniel Hammock deserved it. Pat on the back. He could have won. He could have won so many races this year. There are so many Daniel Hammock apologists out there. Sorry, he choked away. I mean, he honestly he probably would have won that race without the final caution. I mean, he he would have. But the final caution happened, and guess what happened? He He lost that restart, and then he had to choose third. I mean, that was the smart decision to choose third in the inside line on the the very last restart, but he lost the second-to-last restart to Noah Gregson. He just straight-up lost it. You hear that, uh, Ryan Blaney? That was the smart choice to pick the inside lane on the final restart. It also was a smart choice to not try to pressure for the win, Denny Hammer. Yeah, <laughs> I, I and I mentioned it last week on the podcast. I was like, "Why would anybody? Why, if you're Denny Hamlin, are you fighting for the win here?" And Denny Hamlin, I'm a fan of yours. You know that. 
what the fuck were you doing, dude? Like, give up the spot, finish second, go to the championship race. Imagine if somehow he hit that wall harder and he couldn't get his car going and there was eight or nine laps left. He would have been eight or nine laps, 10 laps, whatever it was. I don't know if the green white checkered was with two to go or overtime or whatever. I can't remember. But the point is, Denny Hamlin would be out of the playoffs right now if he hit the wall a little bit harder. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking that up right now because there weren't many cars that were out of that race. And I'm trying to look up quick um, when that incident occurred because even Garrett Smithley in 33rd was only 11 laps off. And I want to say that there was 15, um, 15 laps left when Bowman. I think it was eight or nine. Was it? You think it was that close? I think Maybe it was. It was. I think it was something because like, that became the green white checkered. Um, but let's say Danny Hamlin finished thirty first, which would be behind Cody Ware in thirtieth. Or well, I guess he would have finished thirtieth. Uh, that's six extra spots he would have lost. He might have made the playoffs by two points. But you also don't know if somebody else like Kyle Busch would have hopped in, or Brad Keselowski, or Martin Truex Jr. hopped in on a win and then knocked you out on points. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it happened with five laps to go, so he would have finished probably 30th. Five laps to go under green, though, because it was 501 total laps, right? So I think he would have finished 30th or 29th, 30th, 31st, somewhere in that neighborhood. But the point is, like, I don't think the exact number matters because he would have finished at least 30th or at at least 29th, let's say. So that would be another five spots worse. And he only was eight points to the good. So if Truex, Kyle Busch, or Keselowski won, and the other one gained a couple points by moving forward somehow, you know, whatever, Hamlin went out. He was not locked in there. Right. And Yeah, because his, his first two stages weren't good. It makes no sense to me. Why he raced that hard. Uh, and and even more, why he's pissed about it. Like, dude, just give the spot up. Who the fuck cares? You already have five Martinsville clocks. Like, who the fuck cares? Get to the final four. Don't try to win another clock at the expense of a championship. And we talked about it. I thought Chase Elliott was the one more likely to fuck everything up. Uh, you mentioned that Chase Elliott was too aggressive at Kansas, so we... Maybe we both thought it, even though, you know, when we we talked about it, you were like, well, I'd rather bet Hamlin not to make it at 12 to 1 than Chase Elliott not to make it 12 to 1. But they both end up kind of fucking up in a way <laughs> like. When is the when does the time come? And and this goes to all of pit strategy, everything um, we talk about wave arounds, wave arounds are key at Martinsville. Every time you could have waved around at Martinsville this past weekend, you would have been back a lap ahead. And there were yet there were teams like Daniel Suarez who was doc blocked. Apparently, his pit crew or his crew chief was doc blocked because they couldn't wave around. Because why? I don't understand. Makes no sense. I think I retweeted a tweet during that race that said the exact same thing. Because you know who was in a position to finish close to the top twenty? Timmy freaking Hill. Hill, yeah. Because he because they waved around. Yeah, but he waved around, and then there was a quick caution, which is exactly what you yeah. need in that situation. Him and Alfredo. And, and guess who finished top 20? Alfredo. Yeah, b- because 
why wouldn't you like and there were like 15 cars that could have done that on that first run and it was yes. timmy hill and alfredo they're the only ones that did it it's you guys get paid and that's why as much as i do not like the organization college racing is very very good with that stuff they are i would say especially in the xfinity series the top strategists that's why going back to that justin haley bet that's why that justin haley bet won was because of their strategy yes. they knew or they knew that chances are there was going to be another caution they saved their set of tires for that caution and then drove right up through so i don't get it i don't get why these teams are so dumb and obviously like we're sitting here like freaking armchair quarterbacks or yeah but we armchair coochies. quarterback this exact same situation a week ago right why would hamlin or elliot pressure for the win why and yet they both did not not maybe not elliot for the win but he couldn't just give the spot to keselowski he was already locked in at that point i mean i guess that at that point he has nothing to lose so i guess it makes sense so i'll take that back on chase elliot but uh you know at that point he had nothing to lose so i i I, yeah. I, I screwed up there, but um, Hamlin, like what the fuck? It was literally something we talked about last week on stacking Denny's, that exact situation. And then we saw it in the Xfinity series and at least the hammer team was smart enough to not challenge. But mm-hmm. what are you doing, Denny? What are you doing? They, uh, it Apparently a race win at Martinsville means more to him than a championship. Apparently, or just being able to whine about it on Twitter, as you're saying, which, you know, we're kind of wrapping things up here. Uh, I'm glad to see the emotion. I, I actually do think Denny is pretty passionate about winning the championship, but same time, what the fuck? What were you doing at Martinsville? Yeah. And it, I've said for years that he is the most mentally weak driver in the garage. And I think that once again, proved it like he there's, and and you could hear on the on the radio chatter when he when he interrupted Bowman's uh, victory celebration, his crew chief was sitting there like, "Big picture, dude! Like, don't do anything stupid to jeopardize next week." And you know, thankfully for Hamlin's sake, he got his brain right and just went out of there. But yeah, he's it's it's it doesn't make sense to me. And I, I was I was baffled by his whole weekend, Danny Hamlin's. Yeah. His whole weekend. So, before we wrap this episode up for this season, who is your championship pick to win? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, weak-minded Danny Hamlin. That's my pick. That's your pick, Denny Hamlin? Yeah. I, I I don't love the pick. But it's yeah. It uh, this is such a close race. So the Hendrick cars are way better than they were at the beginning of the year, even at seven fifties. They're the best team. But JGR has been the best at the short flat seven fifties. Truex has technically been the best, but Hamlin's been the most consistent. I, I honestly, I could see this going to any of the four with, I would say Chase Elliott's fourth place for me in the pecking order. And it's still close, but I'm going to go 
with Jordan gets mad that Denny Hamlin has a championship and can't tweet about that anymore. I wonder if he'll unblock me. I'll I'll personally message him. <laughs> um, you know what I could see this coming down to, and it played a factor last year. Pit crews. Yep. Uh, you know the, the nine the team is nine team is year? not in good shape there. You know who's had the best pit crew this year? It's either the eleven or the five, right? Kyle Larson. Yeah. Well, the eleven's yeah, been really could, good too. Yeah, and I think it's gonna. I think qualifying is going to matter a lot because of pit pit stall selection and then your pit crew. Will, will the 11 or 5 speed on pit road? And will the 11 or 5 speed? <laughs> that would uh, Or will Truex come in and, and win it all? Like that's what it, I The thing about Truex, the Truex has been the biz, biggest and I've talked about this with a couple of people in NASCAR DFS circles. He's been the biggest enigma for me in NASCAR DFS period races i think he's gonna do a great he's garbage in and races i think he's gonna be garbage he does great in but then there's a few you can just like peg him and he does but by and large he's he's kind of an enigma to me like you're like what where did he come from or you're like why wasn't he as dominant as i thought those are like the two feelings i tend to have with truex and i just never know what to expect of the guy um and that's where i that's where i could see we see that a lot that we've seen it a lot this season where Truex doesn't have the best car from start to finish. Like we're used to in the past, mm-hmm. his first Martinsville win, he didn't have the best car early in the race. He did when it mattered, just like Alex Bowman did mm-hmm. same thing at Phoenix. He was not great early on in the first Phoenix race. They hit on it. The second half, he went out and dominated the second half of the race and won it. So that's just a whole nother aspect of it. If they can do that again, that's where I could see Truex coming in and winning. I don't think Truex is going to go out there and dominate this thing. I agree. Do I think he's going to have a chance? Yeah, he's won three of the five, I think, short flats this year. I mean, he's going to have a good car. Um, I just, it's like you said, it's it's crazy, crazy tight. And yeah, I think my pick is I I, I have to stick with Hamlin. You know, I've, I've been saying Hamlin the whole playoffs, so I'm sticking with Hamlin. But I. I really think Larson's going to win it. I, I, yeah, I got I really that do. feeling too. I do. I also have that feeling like well, it's just going to be Larson somehow, some way. And I just, he's I just won only one short flat track in his career, Richmond. But at least it's Richmond instead of Martinsville, right? Because, you know, we talk about similarity to Phoenix. Uh, he won at Richmond with Ganassi, which is a pretty big uh, data point, I would say, um, as far as Kyle Larson is concerned. And I feel like that team is coming around, but even in the playoffs, they only finished sixth in Richmond. They finished seventh in New Hampshire. They finished seventh, the first Phoenix race, finished 18th at the first Richmond race. Uh, it, it It is concerning, but they've run stronger than the finishes. Let's put it that way. Definitely in green flag mm. speed and in, in fastest laps, average running position, whatever it is, they've run better than the finishing position for the most part. So that's why he's the favorite is because they're strong. He's won nine races this year. Um, They've run well this year at some fifties, but he honestly hasn't been quite as good as Truex or Hamlin. And Chase Elliott's another, 
another one of those like to me is another Martin Trex Jr. where like you feel like he's gonna be amazing and then he's like oh, I ran like sixth today and then you feel like he's gonna be like sixth and he wins the race. Um, but Chase Elliott has only won two races this year and they're both the road courses. That's it. It for me it takes more than that to win a championship at Phoenix. You know, is winning two road courses. Yes, he's had some seconds, but his seconds were at Daytona, not not Phoenix like at all. Charlotte, five fifty horsepower. Another road course, Sonoma. Another road course, Watkins Glen. Uh, Las Vegas, a five fifty. Kansas, a five fifty. But the first Martinsville race, which is the key data point there. Um, other than that, it was a third at Dover, which is a seven fifty, but it's highly banked. Like. I don't see the short flat performance there for Chase Elliott. Here's another question for you. Do you think this race is going to be like last year? So Chase Elliott started first last year, had to go to the back because he failed inspection. While he was making his way through the field, Joey Logano led 125 laps. Chase Elliott took the lead. He led 153 laps. And those two were basically one, two all day. Keselowski led 16 laps, finished second. Mm-hmm. Or do you think this is going to be more of a three dominator race, four dominator race? I don't think it's going to be a four dominator race. Um, yeah. Two or three. Definitely two or three. Um, can't see one driver leading the whole thing. Uh, the, the thing I want to say is like these races are not drama free. Uh, even 2011 when it was Homestead, Tony Stewart won the title. He won that race, but he came through the field like three times. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know other than maybe 2019 when Kyle Busch could just crack his knuckles and kick back and relax because everybody else shot themselves in the foot. I don't remember a time where it's been stress-free for any of these drivers because it's always been close. Um, like I said, every year but one, it's been one two among the championship four. Other than the year where Carl Edwards and Joey Logano wrecked racing for the lead on a restart late in the race. And Jimmy Johnson of winning after passing Kyle Bush, who led a lot of the race. Like that one, all four of them could have won. Like I, I just don't see this being a one dominator race for sure. Could be a two dominator race. Uh but I'd say two or three. I'd say two or three. Um, I just think all four cars are good enough to win this. All four drivers are good enough to win this. All four uh, teams, I mean, in terms of the the number team, you know, the, the five versus the nine, are good enough to win this. Uh, I would definitely put Chase Elliott fourth in the pecking order for me. But, hey, he won it last year at this track. Mm-hmm. I still keep going. If if this is going to be a one dominator race, it's going to be Larson. I agree with it's, that. It's. I still keep going back to the first Phoenix race. I think we can learn a lot from that. He had a very, very, very good car in that race. Um, just made mistakes, and he could make mistakes again. But if he's starting out front this time, and he doesn't make mistakes, he could lead two hundred fifty of the three hundred laps. Um, yep. Not not with ease, but probably with ease. So, yeah, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up 
on this episode of Stacking Denny's. Denny got stacked last weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, this was fun. You know, we we didn't. When would we start this this podcast this year? Like uh, it was partway through the year. Season. Yeah, I think yeah. I think we did like seventeen episodes or something like that. But yep, yeah, I know, I know, I don't know what I'm doing yet next year. I know you're not 100 percent sure. Hopefully, we can continue doing this. Hopefully, we can do we can do more. I think you know we work well together. I think people like us. Well, um, that and just a big thing. we're we're pretty fucking good friends. So if, if yeah. I think we're going to find a way to work together period. Uh, I know people were floating around the idea of what about the off season? Well, I mean, I, I would love to do a stacking Denny's podcast in the off season. I don't know. Every other week, once, once a month, whatever, it, cool. whatever it takes. Uh, Cause there's still going to be silly season news. There's going to be, you know, updates around the schedule. We've got to, I mean, we've got to do a championship review episode, right? Like, come on. That's I don't true. know. Yeah. So I don't know uh, what I'm thinking. Leave a comment, you know, on YouTube or or any of the places you're listening that can comment. Let us know. Tweet us. Let us know if you want more stacking Denny's in the off season because uh, NASCAR just because the season's ending doesn't mean the information is ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be fun. I think we're gonna do it no matter what. <laughs> I think so. Um, I will say so. You remember when the 2019 season started and we had this uncertainty around the new 550 high downforce, blah, 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 blah. I did a really big deep dive on it uh, as far as futures bets before the season started. And I cleaned up on those. I think all five of the bets I made either won or were really good. I think it was like uh, Denny Hamlin to win the championship 20 to one and he made the final four or something, you know, like, uh, like those kinds of bets and 2019, I absolutely destroyed. I was really good in 2020. And I've been really good at this year at certain tracks, especially, um, mile and a half or short flats. But I think we can see a similar situation where we're moving to a new regime in the next generation car. So it's, going to have to give us time to pick apart what things are similar and different with this new car to what data we've seen in the past. And there was a reason I was so heavy on Denny Hamlin. Uh, I think maybe I can't remember the exact article. I'll go find it, but um, it may have been like Kyle Busch or something. But like a lot of it came down to these cars were racing a little bit more like Xfinity cars back in 2019 was essentially the gist of mine. And the ones that weren't uh, the races that weren't, was also the races in Xfinity where like Danny Hamlin kicked ass in essentially. And Hamlin went from a winless year to a five race win year or something like that. I can't remember the exact number of wins he had in 2019. I know last year he had six. Um, 2019 he had one, two, three, four, five, six, six and six in the past, no, six and seven in the past two years um, prior to this year. So, you know, there's still things to be mined in the data as long as we understand what the new cars specs are and things like that. I still think there can be, and and even if we don't, there's still good generalizations we can make from every possible range of combinations of past data. Um, because that can generate a range of outcomes for every car, every driver in their current situation. And we can still find value. Mm -hmm. 
and that's where the edge is going to be early on next in the season is is being able to find any edge because it's going to be a relatively even playing field, I would say. Yep, I agree. But yeah, so we both say Hamlin's going to win this thing with a healthy dose of Larson maybe taking it too. But Yeah, I, I think we're both in end, agreement there. End point, it would not surprise either of us if all four won because this is ridiculously close. Kind just, of like how Martinsville was. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, just like Martinsville, the, the big surprise, well, honestly, the big surprise was Lugano and Blaney being just terrible. Yeah. Everybody else was good. Um nobody would have expected Blaney or Lagana to be terrible. Of of the Penske cars, I would have thought Kozlowski. Yeah. Uh so you know, maybe one of those four is terrible. Maybe they miss it somehow, some way. But they're the two, you know, top drivers for the two top teams. Uh it it's it's gonna be it's going to be awesome. So enjoy the practice, race. Practice. Enjoy the race weekend. Yeah, we got practice. So practice is going to be very telling if, if any of them are off. I will I will just say that. Yeah. And and how big of a hammer are they going to throw at it? Um, if they are, if they are off, mm-hmm. will it help? We've, we've seen the Truex team make some big swings this year and get it right. But uh, it's not going to be easy when you're going for a championship to do that, to, to be the best of the four. So Practice is going to be right. important. But other than that, I, I expect a, a really tight competition between the championship four. And uh, if you want a, a sneak winner, should that ever happen? It hasn't yet. For me, it would be Logano or Harvick. Mm-hmm. All on board there. 100%. So, good luck this week. This was a long episode, but it was a fun one. And Hopefully you learn some stuff. Hopefully your bets go well. Hopefully your fantasy picks go well. And the off season's not that long. We're going to be racing again in two months. So enjoy it. Enjoy whatever you have going on. And we'll probably talk to you again probably next week. <laughs> right. just, I, I think we at least do a wrap-up episode. All right. the, it's pretty obvious we both love it. Yeah. So. Thanks for listening, as always, and we'll see you.